Well, hello, everybody. Larry Kruger joined by Ryan Smith. It is the Tales from the Bay podcast on uh, Gridiron, the first episode ever of Tales from the Bay. Ryan, good to see you. Oh, man, I am so excited to get started here. This is what we've been working for all the days at camp, all the sweaty days, you know, recording stuff over the summer building the chemistry it's time to talk some Niners ball well let's let's talk a little bit about ourselves uh, you know our favorite topic before we get going uh tell us a little bit about yourself Ryan and, and where you're where you're coming from for people who are hearing you for the first time well I you know I thought about sticking to just what the press release said but I'm gonna go a little more in depth I believe the press release referred to me as a Bay Area native, which honestly kind of sums it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I interned for uh, KMBR, the sports leader here in the Bay Area. And, you know, that's how I crossed paths with the great Larry Kruger. <laughs> and then, you know, went back to college. And then I, uh, right after the pandemic, got a job at the Adam Carolla show where I worked for a couple of years. And man, that was an experience, especially during COVID. Then I reached out to Larry and I was like, look, man, I'm so sorry that, you know, you're no longer at KMBR. But just wanted to let you know, you're the most knowledgeable guy there. You know, there you're the guy who knows what he's talking about. And Larry, you know, was so flattered, as you'll see. You know, he, the man can be flattered. He can be. He can be. <laughs> he can be worked. Uh, he gave me a call, and I believe we talked for like three and a half hours, something crazy. And I decided to drop everything, move back in with my pops, and. We started this YouTube channel where, my God, I mean, I think we've maybe done 500, 600 hours of content. Like We've done a lot. We've done a lot. And then one thing leads to another. I actually had a job interview with the great Ollie Connolly, who I'm sure all of you know on this feed. And it was literally the day after I accepted this thing with Larry. So I told him, look, man, it sounds awesome. Love your writing, all that. But, you know, word is bond. I got to keep my word. And then <laughs> kept in touch and... Man, this, uh, I don't even know how to describe how this whole thing came together. Blair, why don't you give your much more impressive resume? First of all, we're really excited to do this podcast and to talk 49er football in the UK and, and to build the Niner fan base and their brand internationally. But yeah, my story is, um, you know, I grew up in San Francisco and, uh, you know, one of four kids and my dad was a, a lawyer and, uh, he always said to me, hey, you know, pursue what you love and, uh, you know, money will follow, fame will follow, whatever it is that you want out of life, it will follow, but do what you love to do. And so I always loved sports as a kid and uh, just always really enjoyed it. I think I was, I think my mom, you know, started, got me into, uh, you know, uh, you know, tried to get me to get into math by, you know, having me do batting averages and hey you know what's what's your favorite baseball players batting averages and that kind of thing so I've always been a big sports fan so I went to college and I was a communications major and just got a job believe it or not uh, scouting football players um, out of the Canadian Football League with the expansion Sacramento gold miners of the American expansion of the CFL I uh, worked with pro coaches and pro scouts. Case Stevenson, the former head coach of the Buffalo Bills, was the head coach. And um, did that and, and, and went to work there and really learned the value of hard work. I mean, I think we worked like from 5 a.m. to 1 a.m. Um, you know, on game plans. I did quality control. I was the assistant linebackers coach. Uh, I did personnel evaluation and then went from there to the Arizona Cardinals with uh, the great Joe Woolley, who I worked with in Canada, 
um, scouted with the Cardinals and, and then kind of just was looking for things to do and kind of fell into a radio opportunity at Sports Byline USA Radio Network, which led to a job on hosting Sports Overnight America. And I came to KMBR Radio in 1997. Uh, was there until 2005, then went to Sirius Satellite. I went to KGO Radio. I went to Sir- Sirius Satellite Radio, Overtime. Hosted a show called Overtime on the Mad Dog Radio channel. And then came back to KMBR in 2011. Stayed there until 2022. And I've been hosting the 49er pre- and, and post-game shows for the last decade on, on KMBR. Now I am working for 95.7 The Game, the the FM uh, competitor to uh, KMBR, as, I, as Ryan stated, started my own YouTube channel, The Krug Show. Check it out on uh, on YouTube, The Krug Show. We've got over 6,000 subscribers, and we talk a lot of Bay Area sports, a lot of Niners, a lot of Giants, a lot of Warriors, and uh, we have a good time. We do a lot of live streams, post-game, a lot of post-game situations uh, on baseball, football, basketball, and just had a lot of fun. And then, you know, as you, as you said, Ryan, just, you know, uh, you kind of reached out to me after I was, you know, left KMBR and, and uh, just kind of inspired me to go out on my own to uh, to start this YouTube channel. And then we stumbled into Ollie Connolly and started hearing about the expansion of the NFL in Europe and how this was a huge year for that. And then made met some people like Caleb O'Meara's from the 49ers and eventually Will Gavin from TalkSport. And it all just kind of came together. And here we are. It is uh, September of 2022, and the NFL is kicking off what I read today was the 103rd season of National Football League, American football. And, you know, the Niners are marketing themselves globally, and obviously we're part of that marketing campaign to try to market the sport and kind of bring American football to uh, to Western Europe and the UK. And, and I know you and I are both really, really excited to talk football with a brand new audience. And I would encourage all people listening to this for the first time to not just be fans of Ryan and I, but of course, the 49ers, uh, because the 49ers, and we'll explain a little bit why this is the case, but they are on the verge of taking off and becoming the it franchise in the NFL. We know they're an iconic franchise uh, from their past success, but they are poised to have tremendous success from this point forward. So if you are sitting there going, hmm, I've, I've always been interested in American football, and I, I'd like to pick my team, and I'm not sure which team I should pick, you should pick the 49ers. Uh, and we'll get into many reasons as to why uh, on this podcast as we kind of take you behind the scenes uh, on a season that uh, is is one that the 49ers hope wraps up with a Super Bowl berth. Uh, the Super Bowl this year will be played in Glendale, Arizona, and the 49ers expect to be representing the NFC, and I expect them to be representing the NFC, so it should be a hell of a year. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And uh, just to let everyone know, so, you know, Larry, uh, you heard, he's got a very, very uh, impressive resume. He is going to be breaking down the X's and O's a little bit more than me. You know, <laughs> I, I'm kind of coming from that fan perspective, you know, I'm 20, I'll turn 27 in October, but, you know, young guy, I mean, always been a 49ers fan my whole life. You know, I've been trying my hardest to eliminate we from my vocabulary. Right. Um, yeah, but, you know, it is, it's just an unbelievable opportunity. And guess what? This podcast, uh, this is totally not a cliche or anything, but, you know, we're going to talk sports, but, but here's the twist. We're not going to take ourselves too seriously. Right. No, no. Never been done before. But that is uh, kind of the vibe we're going for. And that's, if you head over to our YouTube channel, 
it, it's funny. You know, we do Giants post games, San Francisco Giants post games, like three hours every night. And the team couldn't be more boring. But we've developed this like fun little community and everybody comes back and we interact with the chat. And man, it's, it's honestly, it's like therapy. <laughs> it's like therapy uh, for me, at least. And uh, yeah, we're hoping to kind of bring some of that same vibe to this podcast, man. No doubt. No doubt. And uh, uh, there are a lot of Giants fans this week. Are like, Where are you guys this week? Well, we've been pouring ourselves into 49er football and getting ready for this project and and the season that lies ahead that we really haven't done as many Giants live streams this week. But yeah, as Rice said, we're going to have fun and we're going to we're going to take you behind the scenes. Uh, we're going to talk a little football. And I mentioned before that this is a perfect time to be a 49er fan. And the reason I say that is just simply because. The 49ers, you know, in a way, I almost feel like history is repeating itself. In 1985, they drafted the greatest wide receiver of all time in Jerry Rice. And then they followed that up in 1986 by trading back in the NFL draft, which is the bloodline to the sport. And and they they came away with an incredible, incredible two-year run in the draft. 85, they landed Rice, who was one of the greatest superstars the game's ever seen. And then 86, they followed it up by drafting eight different starters. And then the 49ers became the team in the NFL in 1987. They contended. They had an incredible year. They won the Super Bowl in 88, won it in 89, came one win away from going to a third consecutive Super Bowl in 1990, would ultimately be in the NFC Championship game against the Cowboys uh, in 92 and 93, and ultimately would win another Super Bowl. Their their most recent Super Bowl victory came in 1994. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because in many ways, I see this 49er team very similar path in that two drafts ago, they drafted Trey Lance. They hope that Trey Lance becomes the next superstar quarterback in the National Football League. They believe in his skill set. And then they followed that up with a draft this year that between the practice squad players and the 53-man roster, the 49ers have 14 rookies on their roster. So that if Trey Lance can fulfill his potential and this rookie class of 2022 um, goes on and fulfills its potential with 14 candidates potentially being added to the roster, the 49ers could be on the verge of a, an incredible, you know, three, four, five, six, seven year run, maybe even longer, um, because they have a superstar potential young quarterback and they're hoping that's the case. And they have a very deep and talented roster, arguably the deepest and most talented roster in the league. So if you're sitting there going, hmm, I want to, I want to root for an NFL team, but I want to have fun. I want to root for a winner. Well, the 49ers have been a winner in the past. And if all the indications that I'm looking at are correct, they almost promise to be a huge winner in the immediate future. I actually dove a little bit into uh, Premier League and especially just from playing FIFA video game. And so I was looking for, you know, I, I wanted to get a Premier League team. And my longtime girlfriend, her dad's a huge Liverpool fan, like crazy. Like, I mean, to me, I'm like, why are you waking up early for those games? and You're not watching freaking Sunday football. But when I was looking for a team, what I didn't want is to be a bandwagon guy. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to just jump on the best team, you know, Man City or Liverpool that are up there every year. I wanted to be part of the journey a little bit because that's the best part about sports is starting from the bottom and going up. You know, the 49ers, they've got that shine of, you know, 
They've won some of the most Super Bowls of any franchise, so they've got the historic sort of thing going on, but they haven't won a Super Bowl since 94, since one year before I was born. So if you hop on now, I think you're in for a wonderful ride. And like Larry was saying, I mean, these young guys, we we actually were in the locker room today talking to uh, Marcelino McCrary Ball, young linebacker, P-Squad guy, who's awesome. And then we were talking to Drake Jackson and independent of each other, what they both said is that being around these blue chip superstar players, it's a cheat code. They both said it's a cheat code to like be around these guys. So, I mean, they're so loaded. They've got a blue chipper at fullback, blue chipper at wide receiver in Debo, blue chipper at linebacker in Warner, blue chipper and in Nick Bosa, blue chipper on the line, Trent Williams, Jimmy Ward's awesome. You can keep going and going. And it's like these young guys, man, they learn how to work. Similar to me being around Larry, you know, I'm I'm hoping a little bit of that rubs off on me. Yeah, the 49ers have a lot of depth. They've got a lot of talent, and their expectations are, you know, Kyle Shanahan desperately wants to win a Super Bowl. Uh, He's he's gotten very close. Um, He got incredibly close with the Atlanta Falcons a few years ago. John Lynch won a Super Bowl as a player with the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2002, and he would very much like to cement his place. He's already a Hall of Famer, but he'd love to cement his place as a great young general manager by winning a Super Bowl as a general manager. So uh, both these guys are, are, you know, they've come together, and we're going to find out. The 49ers are, are, I believe, 16-1. to with Baltimore and a couple other teams, uh, Minnesota uh, and Indianapolis sitting at 20 to 1. So 16 to 1. The 49ers are the LT. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. They're tied for the seventh best odds of any team in the NFL coming into week one. So they're not the favorite, they're among the top contenders. And I think there's a lot of people that. Uh, think that the 49ers have a great roster, but if you say, well, why aren't they more highly rated? It's because there's never been a rookie quarterback who has ever taken his team to the Super Bowl. Technically, Trey Lance is not a rookie quarterback, but he is indeed in his first year as the full-time starter and only has two NFL starts to his name. So um, in a lot of ways, they are viewing the 49ers as uh, a team that's going with a rookie quarterback and thus... You know, that kind of drags them down. But if you're one of these people that loves to bet things and to wager, this would be the perfect opportunity if you believed in the 49ers to go in that direction. Why? Because, as I said, there's a lot of unknown with Trey Lance. But after Sunday, when the 49ers play the Chicago Bears in week one, there'll be less unknowns. And after the next game, there'll be fewer unknowns. And after the next game after that, there'll be fewer unknowns. And if Trey Lance is, you know, happens to play well at the beginning of this year as a second year player who's very raw, um, the 49ers number will skyrocket and they will no longer be 16 to one. They may be at the top of the list if Trey plays well in the first month of the season. So that, um, that's just the insider tip for people who are sitting there going, you know what? I want a live Super Bowl, you know, wager. Uh, and I'm not sure who to wager on. I like the 49ers at 16 to one. If you believe that Trey Lance is going to fulfill his potential, and I, 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 I really do. I think he will fulfill his potential. I don't know if he'll be this year. That's the big question. But if you get in, as soon as he shows this year that he's ready to roll and has a few good games, 
their number is going to go from 16 to 1 to like 8 to 1. So I, I would say if you want to bet the Niners, you may want to do it in the first, uh, you know, before the calendar turns to October. Well, plus the first two games, I mean, I don't want to minimize anything, and Seattle's always tough for the Niners, but, I mean, they're going at the Bears. They have one of the worst rosters in the league. You know, they've, they're they've a six-win also- team last year, and yep. they've, gotten, uh, they've gotten worse. Yeah, and I believe they're only favored in two games all year. So, you know, there's a good chance they win that one, and then Seattle is in a, totally rebuilding, and I think there's a good chance they get that one. I think they'll be 2-0 and to start the season, and, and yeah, the odds are going to come crashing down. And Larry was talking about unknowns at the quarterback. Well, they also have a known at the quarterback now also. If Trey Lance stumbles, if Trey Lance, you know, God forbid, gets injured, uh, they've got a guy who, in his only two fully healthy years, took the Niners to one play away from getting to the Super Bowl and one play away from the Niners winning the Super Bowl. So... Not half bad as a uh, backup, I truly believe. And I, I know, Larry, you were telling Brock Purdy, the uh, third-string rookie quarterback today, that you think they have the best quarterback room in the league. And I actually agree in terms of depth. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very good quarterback room. Now, some people would say, hey, you know, Josh Allen is the best quarterback or Patrick Mahomes. And so any room that includes, you know, any anybody who's going to be any quarterback room that's considered the best in the league would have to include one of those guys. But I just think when you look at, you know, Trey Lance is a top five pick. I think the 49ers feel very confident uh, going forward with him. And then you have Jimmy Garoppolo, who's a proven player. And then you have a really talented, under the radar third quarterback in Brock Purdy, who looked really like the 49ers' best quarterback in the preseason. He played uh, with the poise and moxie of a veteran. Um, he really, he's played a lot of college football. He's made a number of starts. So it's a, it's a situation where 49ers, I think, believe that they have three quarterbacks they can win games with this year. Um, and that's, that's something that almost no other team in the NFL can, uh, can say. And the Garoppolo thing was interesting. I mean, they, he wanted to be traded. They wanted to trade him. Things got complicated in March when he had the shoulder surgery. He wasn't fully cleared by the doctors until July. The 49ers gave Don Yee, Garoppolo's agent, um, the right to negotiate a trade. They couldn't find a trade to their liking. And I think one of the most interesting comments that we heard this week when we talked to a number of different people for this podcast um, came from a former NFL general manager whose assessment of the situation was that Garoppolo, believe it or not, even though he said very many complimentary things about Trey Lance, that Garoppolo may have re-signed with the 49ers because he feels the 49ers give him the best opportunity to get back on the field. So that may be, you know, and it's speculative on our part, but on my part, but uh, that may be that, that Jimmy Garoppolo feels that Trey Lance is going to struggle in his first year and that there will be an opportunity for Jimmy to get on the field and to play. Uh, clearly he had other opportunities if he had wanted to force the 49ers to release him. Instead, he chose to renegotiate his $27 million contract into a $6.5 million contract, and he stays here in San Francisco. And Is he staying here because um, he likes it here and he's familiar? That was what Jimmy said when they asked the, the press asked him, why are you sticking around here? And he said, well, the familiarity, I'm comfortable here. But I think that's an easier thing to say than to say, hey, you know what? 
I think Trey Lance is really raw, or I think I'm a better quarterback than Trey Lance, or I think Lance has a lot to prove, and I'm going to get on the field this year. And that's that's kind of the story behind the story, is that you've got the drama of two guys who both have the skills to start in Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, and they're friends on the surface. There's rumor that Lance was unhappy when the 49ers opted to re-sign Garoppolo. And to me, that whole subplot and how Kyle Shanahan plays his quarterbacks and how how long of a leash does he give Trey Lance if he struggles? And does he go to Jimmy Garoppolo, to the veterans in the room, go to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and kind of push for Jimmy Garoppolo if Trey Lance does indeed struggle in the first part of the year? It's the it's the ultimate. Uh, you know, I was joking before to you as we were driving around that that Trey Lance is almost like 2022 version of Austin Powers. He is the international man of mystery <laughs> because he is he's very inexperienced, very talented. There's a wide disparity in opinion. Some people feel like he could win the MVP. He could be that good that the 49ers are a, a luxury car. And that Jimmy is, is or that uh, Trey is, is a quarterback that's inheriting one of the best rosters in football and may win the MVP. Other people feel Peter King, the respected writer from Sports Illustrated, has come out and made the prediction that Jimmy Garoppolo will take over the starting job from Trey Lance by the seventh week of the regular season. So with that as the soap opera, soap opera backdrop, this season gets underway for the 49ers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, we're talking about Trey, but also Jimmy. In terms of guys that opinions are all over the place, you could be watching one of those debate shows in the morning on ESPN or Fox, doesn't matter. You're going to hear two completely different opinions on Jimmy Garoppolo. You're going to hear Jimmy Garoppolo got carried to all these, you know, all these wins and, you know, he was the only thing holding them back from winning the Super Bowl. You're going to hear people bring up the fact that, you know, Jimmy G, when Jimmy G is in the game, the 49ers win. Shanahan's record with the Niners is far below 500 without Jimmy. And I believe they've won 69% of their games, including playoffs with Jimmy. So you've got these two guys that are like the, what is that, Rorschach test? Or is the thing that you go to the, the therapist or psychologist and they show you the thing. Different people see different things in them. And Trey, Trey just hasn't put enough tape out there, really, to have a strong opinion on the guy. But what you can have an opinion on is, and this is what I'm basing his future success on, is he's a great guy. And he seemed to get along with everyone. He's showing leadership qualities at such a young age. And, man, he has just so much raw potential. Well, he is the international man of mystery, but also I believe he's a bit like Happy Gilmore. So, like, he's got this unbelievable raw drive, or in his case, just throwing power. I mean, you look at Josh Allen, Trey Lance might put more zip on the ball than Josh Allen. And, you know, when he throws the deep ball, sometimes it looks like Russell Wilson dropping it in the breadbasket. But sometimes he struggles with the putts. He struggles with getting it out quick and getting it to his receivers, who last year, it was all about the yak yards, the run after catch, and... If Trey can't do that and run Kyle's offense adequately, what we may see is is a bit of an RG3 situation where he runs Trey a little bit more. And guess what? When you run your guy 15 times a game, there's a good chance of injury. We saw it last year with him. And that is just another reason to keep Jimmy Garoppolo around, man. 
Well, and then, you know, the 49ers, uh, they look at the situation as, as, you know, uh, they, they have Jimmy Garoppolo. He's an insurance policy against Trey Lance struggling. They also have taken a quarterback who was untradeable, who had a $25 million, $27 million deal, whatever it was. Nobody wanted Jimmy Garoppolo at that price tag. They ripped up that contract, renegotiated a one-year deal with a no-trade clause. So now Jimmy basically has a, has a seat at the table and can veto any trade he doesn't like. But it also is a price tag that is very affordable around the NFL. And if there, if Trey Lance plays exceptionally well, and the opportunity for Jimmy to play uh, does not show itself here in San Francisco, now they've got a contract. Now they got a quarterback on a contract in Garoppolo at six six point two million. That's very tradable, and that's that you know that's a that's a coveted thing. And maybe at some point he may go to the 49ers and say, "Trade me." He may also have an eye on free agency next year. And want to stay with the 49ers. You got to remember this. Most of the teams that need quarterbacks presently are bad teams. And so the quarterback oftentimes feels the brunt of, um, you know, teams that aren't good. Um, and if you don't have a good line and you don't have a good surrounding cast, quarterbacks wind up taking a lot of hits. So it's possible that Don Yee, the agent for Jimmy Garoppolo, said, you know what, Jimmy, we're not going to get the deal, the $20 million deal that we want this year. The 49ers don't want you at that price, and there's no other team in the NFL that currently does. Um, but that doesn't mean that there won't be a team in next year's free agent market in March that will want, want you, and maybe will want you at a $20 million price tag. So I think ultimately the goal for Garoppolo this year is, is whether he plays or not, I think he wants to make sure that he shows up next March healthy and ready to accept a $20 million offer. Um, and how does he get it? Well, he gets it by you know, being a good soldier for the 49ers and not complaining publicly, uh, playing well when he gets in there, if that indeed, if that opportunity comes about, and potentially winning the Super Bowl if he winds up reinserted, reinserted as the starter. Um, that would be the fastest way for him to to get that $25 million contract. On the other end of this thing is how will the 49ers react if Trey Lance struggles, Jimmy Garoppolo takes over the starting job, and Jimmy winds up leading the 49ers into the Super Bowl. They have a good enough team to win the Super Bowl. Uh, They went to the NFC Championship game last year. They've improved several facets of their of their personnel going into this year. So I think most people would argue that the Niners are a more talented team in 2022 than they were in 2021. And they almost, they were one win away from a Super Bowl berth. So what would happen if Jimmy Garoppolo were standing as the starting quarterback on Super Bowl Sunday and came away with a victory? Would they still trade him? Would they still move him on at the end of the year? Would they still let him walk as a free agent? He would assuredly get big-time offers from other teams. But would the 49ers want to retain him in that situation, despite their significant investment in Trey Lance? So, you know, there's there's um, there's a belief that the players that win the Super Bowl or the quarterbacks that win the Super Bowl are somehow special. And if Jimmy, you know, if you lose that game, you're not viewed as special. Jimmy has played and lost in the Super Bowl. If he were to play in a Super Bowl and win it, would they then pivot off of their long-range plan of, we're going with Trey Lance and say, you know what? We're going with the guy who won us the Super Bowl, and now we're going to trade Trey Lance. 
And I think all options, I don't think the 49ers necessarily want to go down that road or discuss all these options publicly, but I think realistically everybody knows that all of the options are on the table, and now it's time to play the games. Well, and uh, you know what? Good, Good problems to have. Oh, no, we won the Super Bowl. Now we have to think about – I'm thinking, you know, I mean, that is that is a possibility. Jimmy Garoppolo could win the Super Bowl with the 49ers as a starting quarterback this year. I'm not I, – I don't think they – I do not think they trade Trey. I mean, even if that happened, I you know, three years left on his contract. Guy, I mean, look, it may just turn out that he's raw needs uh, needs, you know, playing time. I mean, Brock Purdy uh, has more – pass attempts than Trey Lance since high school and Nate Sudfeld since high school combined. Nate Sudfeld was the uh, supposed backup until Jimmy came and Brock Purdy balled out. So that just goes to show, I mean, the guy the guy is super raw. And you know what? Uh, this gets into a good topic, Larry. Something we talked about earlier in the week. I mean, I think a lot of people think that this season is some somehow a referendum on Trey and Trey's career trajectory and uh, I think we both sort of feel like look maybe slow down a little bit Uh, the season doesn't have to be a referendum but what happens is you know when you have people on the on the air saying that Trey Lance might win MVP I mean it just sets a bar that is just completely unrealistic to me and uh, I think people need to calm down a little bit on that well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. I mean, I, I think he's an enormously talented quarterback. Um, I know it's important to him. I know he wants to be great, and he's got a great surrounding cast and a phenomenal play caller in Kyle Shanahan. So um, I, I expect Lance to play well. How well can he play? You know, that's to be determined. But I think it's interesting that I think the 49ers and uh, one of the people that we talked to this week uh, Randy Mueller, the former general manager of the Dolphins and Saints, made the point that he views the 49ers addition, you know, the re-signing, a restructuring of Jimmy Garoppolo as a statement from the front office that they don't want 2022 solely to be a referendum on Trey Lance. They want Trey Lance to be the starting quarterback. They want to hand him the keys to the car. If he's not ready, they have a Super Bowl-ready roster. You could argue the best player for the 49ers is a 34-year-old left tackle in Trent Williams. So I think, you know, they don't want to waste Trent Williams' last opportunity or maybe the best last opportunity that Trent will have to win a Super Bowl as a dominating left tackle. They don't want to waste it just on a developmental year of a young, raw quarterback that they believe in, but it may not happen this year. So why is Jimmy Garoppolo here? I think Jimmy Garoppolo is here for a lot of reasons. I think he's here because he had no other option. I think he's here because he was the 49ers' best option. I think he's here because the 49ers don't want their intel, uh, you know, via the quarterback to show up in another locker room, possibly of a rival like the Seahawks or Rams. But I think also they don't, the 49ers brass understands that Trey Lance is a huge, huge future. But they don't feel comfortable making 2022 solely a referendum on Trey. And if Trey Lance is not ready to ascend to a into the starting quarterback position, they want to have options. Why? Because they they believe, and I believe as well, that they have the most talented roster in the NFC. Uh, you could make an argument about Buffalo. I think you saw that in the opener against the Rams. The Buffalo Bills are very talented. 
And there's a couple other teams in the AFC that have great talent. San Diego or the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, the Kansas City Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens all have a lot of talent. Um, and there's probably a couple other teams in addition to that, Indianapolis and others. But the 49ers in the NFC, I think far and away, have the most talented 53-man roster and one of the NFL's most respected head coaches. So um, they they feel like they're a Super Bowl contender. And um, I don't I haven't talked to Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, about this, but I really believe that he feels like he has three quarterbacks he can win with. And um, so he you know he knows that Trey's got a big future, but if it's not going to happen this year, they are not willing to chalk up this year to just another development year uh, for Trey Lance or another year where they don't have a quarterback because their quarterback's either not ready or not healthy. Well, um, I mean, Larry, they don't have a first-round pick this year. They don't have you a first-round pick this, this is, year. They, they had the year where, what was it, 2018, where they ended up getting Bosa. And, I mean, pff, heck, that is <laughs> that was a pretty awesome uh, thing to happen. But, look, they've got the, they, they don't need to tank for a quarterback. They don't have a pick. Uh, you know, it, it's time it's time to win, and there's no excuses, and I think everybody feels that. And, you know, listening to George Kittle on Richard Sherman's podcast, this kind of – because everyone's initial inclination was, oh, Jimmy's coming back. What does that mean about Jimmy and Trey? Does that mean they don't trust Trey? Does that mean – but I, listening to Jim or uh, Kittle and, and Sherman talk about it, they're like, man, people don't understand the stress that the players feel when they put in six months of hard work and all this studying and – all of this, you know, they're just sacrifices and beating themselves up and and all, all to get to the season and try to compete for a Super Bowl. And the stress of knowing that if your quarterback goes down, all of that is flushed down the drain. All of that was for naught. And they were saying how, how, how comfortable they are knowing now that, you know, if something happens to Trey or happens to Jimmy, it's okay. There's another guy that they can win that they, I believe they could make it to and win the Super Bowl with both of them. So I think that is a, a really underrated aspect of everything. Well, you got to remember this too. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is one of the NFL's better coaches. If every coach were available uh, to sign a contract, he would get one of the two or three best contracts. That's how highly he's thought of. If the 49ers, for whatever reason, decide they were going to get rid of Kyle Shanahan, there'd probably be three or four other teams that same day that would respond to that by firing their head coach to go after Kyle Shanahan. Just for the opportunity to go after him. Yeah, exactly. And Kyle Shanahan is sub-500 in his career. Why is that? It's because he's his quarterbacks have gotten injured. Jimmy's been consistently injured. And his backup quarterbacks have not been good enough to win with. Then you look at Trey Lance, who's only played in two games and had two significant injuries last year. Um, you know, depth at the quarterback position, it's far and away the most important position on the field. And um, depth at the quarterback position in the salary cap era is almost unheard of. And I think if you ask Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch at the beginning of the year, hey, uh, at the beginning of the offseason, hey, would you like to have Jimmy back? They just wouldn't think it was a possibility because they just figured that Jimmy would wind up getting a starting job and that he wouldn't be available to be their backup in August or September at $6.5 million. But here we are. It's now September, and uh, Trey Lance is their starter. Jimmy Garoppolo is their backup at $6.2 million. 
They have the ability to trade him if things go really well with Trey. They have the ability to play him if things go poorly with Trey. And because of that, I think the 49ers are uniquely positioned uh, to make a run at the Super Bowl out of the NFC. So it, it, it's um, in some ways it's been described that the 49ers, by re-signing, uh, to, by going to Trey Lance to begin with and then re-signing Jimmy Garoppolo, have essentially brought the circus back to town and that this is going to be a circus, a media circus throughout the year. Um, how Kyle Shanahan handles uh, the quarterbacks, how he juggles the quarterbacks, how he communicates to them, the fan base in his locker room, you know, it's going to be really, really interesting. And, Rye, I would say this, the 49ers far and away because of the presence of these two quarterbacks are the number one subplot uh, of any story around the NFL. What is the most salacious, sexy story the league has to offer? It's here in San Francisco with Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't even know what would be the close second. So if you're, if you're studying the NFL football, NFL football from, from afar and you're looking at a situation where, wow, this is, is this about X's and O's? This is about, this is about a lot more than X's and O's. And the 49ers and how they play their hand of, uh, at quarterback this year is going to be probably the, one of the biggest subplots, if not the biggest subplot in the entire league. Yeah, and here's another little subplot that uh, hasn't been discussed that much. I think that we can both agree that, uh, you know, although McVeigh and Shanahan are friends, I mean, they are both competitive as hell. And the fact that they both landed in California teams in 2017, and, you know, Shanahan, I, I'm sure he just feels like, Man, I can't catch a break. I just, I, you know, I have all these injuries. And Sean McVay, you saw last year, finally beat the Niners in the most pivotal game in the NFC Championship and then went on to win the Super Bowl. And look, uh, the, let me read these stats. So the, this is since they both got in, the, in the, their head coaching jobs in 2017, talking, speaking about injuries. Okay, the 49ers, in terms of worst injury luck, in a 32-team league, ranked third, first, sixth, fourth, and tenth. And with that, they still made an NFC Championship and a Super Bowl. Now, if you go and check out Sean McVay, he, he's, in terms of best injury luck, fifth, second, tenth, fourth, and last year when they won the Super Bowl, first. And I think that that is the fact that the Niners are coming in, aside from Jimmy Ward, relatively healthy for like the first time, it seems like. And now they have contingency plans at pretty much every position. I think uh, I think that they're poised for a run. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, honestly, again, not wish an injury on anyone, but I feel like the Rams are kind of due to, you know, so, I mean, suffer an injury to one of their top guys. I mean, how could they go two straight years and just remain that healthy? It would be unprecedented. Yeah, the Rams are a, a top-heavy team uh, that you know they they were the they're the defending Super Bowl champions, and their top four players last year: Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey, and Matthew Stafford missed a combined one game, and that's likely not going to happen this year. So. You know, the Rams built a team that was incredibly top-heavy last year, and they were all in on winning the Super Bowl, and it worked. It absolutely worked. Um, it they, you know, came close to not working, but ultimately they got it done. 
Now here they are a year later, and I would say they're going to come crashing back to earth. And in fact, that is my bold prediction on the years that the Super Bowl champion Rams will miss the playoffs altogether this year because the NFL is about depth. Um, and you know, you need, you need depth and their, their quality, their, their, the top of their roster is the best of any team in the NFL. Yeah. Um, but as soon as they start to have even a regular number of injuries, um, their backups are not near, they, they've spent so much money on the top of their roster that their backups aren't nearly as good. And I think that lack of depth come, you know, Thanksgiving time to come late November, early December is really going to show itself. By the way, just watching tonight, and also for everyone out there, Larry has been saying this for, you know, what's maybe a month and a half now. So it wasn't just tonight's game, but just one brief thing on tonight's game. Is Cooper Cup the most valuable receiver you've seen since, like, almost like Jerry Rice? Like, I, I cannot believe that guy. How the heck does he get open? It, like, everybody knows that he's going to throw a Cooper Cup. And the guy, it's like, oh, it's halftime. Guy's got like eight receptions on nine targets for, you know, 70 yards and a touchdown. That guy is a, uh, he's an anomaly, man. What? It's crazy. Well, and he's, yeah, and it's funny. There's so many, so much uh, emphasis put on the stopwatch and how fast do you run? How fast is your 40 yard dash? Here is the best receiver in football and he runs a 4.6240, which is a, relatively slow 40. Jerry Rice uh, was the greatest wide receiver of all time. He ran 4.55. Five, five. So it's amazing. Every time there you'll hear about these receivers, oh, he runs sub 4.3, he runs 4.29. It's it's really all about your ability to run routes, uh, your hands, your 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 breaks, your there's just so many nuances to the receiver position. And then you mix in a pro bowl quarterback like Stafford with a great arm. And they do a lot of reps together on the field. Um, and Cooper Cup is, you know, he added out, the Rams added Allen Robinson as a receiver opposite Cooper Cup tonight or this season. And tonight he really didn't do anything. Uh, but Cooper Cup is, is, is out, an outstanding uh, receiver. And we'll see if he can stay healthy because he has been, you know, an unstoppable player. And, and that really was one, and we'll get into the 49ers offseason, but one of the significant questions for the 49ers going into this offseason and is you know teams try to match up in the division so why is that because you play your divisional opponents twice a year so the Niners division includes the Rams the Seahawks and the Cardinals so NFL coaching staff spend a lot of time in the offseason studying the teams in their division and you know that the Niners studied the Rams even more because they were the Super Bowl champions so Finding a defensive player who could match up with Cooper Cup after watching Kwan Williams really struggle in pass coverage last year out of the slot to cover Cooper Cup, I think was one of the major uh, you know points of emphasis of this offseason. And sure enough, the 49ers found a fifth round pick out of Toledo, a former walk-on who became an All-American in the MAC conference named Samuel Womack III. And if there has been one story of surprise in 49er camp this summer, it has been the play of Samuel Womack III, who is going to, they're going to plug and play him as the starter at the slot corner position, meaning that he will have to defend the Cooper Cups of the world. And the 49ers love Womack. They love his long arms and tenaciousness, his ability to reroute receivers. Uh, he's, he's got, as they say, some dog in him. And uh, Samuel Womack, 
and how he defends Cooper Cup in the two head-to-head matchups. It's going to be a really interesting subplot to watch in the two Niner game, Niner Ram games this year. Oh, absolutely. And uh, with that, why don't we get into some uh, season predictions? Let's, let's do it. You know, maybe let's uh, help make, make people some money. I think that the Niners are going to meet up with the Packers, but this time it's going to be at Levi's because the Packers are going to be a wild card. The Niners are going to be a one or two seed. Um, I think that those the, that's my NFC championship. AFC championship, I got the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs and Lamar Jackson. Contract or not, you know, he is going to remind everyone of uh, how great and how special he is. And, man, they had so many injuries last year and still won, what, eight games? So, yeah, I, I, and I got a Super Bowl rematch of uh, the Kaepernick-Joe Flacco year. I've got Lamar Jackson versus Trey Lance. Slash Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not going to make a Super Bowl prediction. Mostly because I think I want to take the Niners, but eh, I feel like too much of a homer. So I'll just say my Super Bowl. Uh, I'm going Niners over Bills in the Super Bowl. I, and 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 it's, it's a projection because Trey Lance hasn't gotten it done. But um, I think the 49ers have the far and away the most talent in the conference. And I think these are the two best teams. I really do. I think Buffalo will be favored in the Super Bowl, but uh, I don't know who's going to win it. But I'll take Niners and Bills to play in the Super Bowl. As far as the awards go, um, I'm giving the MVP back to Aaron Rodgers. I don't think any uh, – Three in a row? Rodgers plays the game at a high level. I think he's going to continue. Uh, there's nothing that's stopping him from continuing. Uh, they have a really, really good – um, you know, running back. I think they've they just got continuity there. Uh, he, you know, he's just going to play at a very high level. So, I mean, I, I, he is the guy that I would say is going to be the MVP. As far as the offensive player of the year, I'm going Jamar Chase um, from the Bengals, who I just think is going to pick up where he left off last year and just dominate. My defensive player of the year, I was thinking about going with Nick Bosa, but I'll tell you, after watching the first game, Rams-Bills, I'm going to go with Ed Oliver. And I know that's a, that's, that's a name that's way down the list. But Ed Oliver was an incredible college football player, and he looks primed now that Buffalo has surrounded him with some bigger-bodied guys. Like, he's going to bust out this year and be the AFC's version of Aaron Donald. So remember that name, Ed Oliver, is my defensive player of the year. My offensive rookie of the year is going to be Romeo Dobbs from Green Bay. My defensive rookie of the year is going to be Nicobe Dean, who I think was the steal Ooh. of the draft by the Philadelphia Eagles. And my coach of the year is going to be Matt Rule. I mean, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the Carolina Panthers, nobody expects them to go anywhere. And I think they're going to the playoffs. I think they're going to, I think they're going to probably win, you know, nine games, maybe 10. I think Matt Rule is going to be the, the coach of the year because of it. I like it. I, I really, I really like those predictions, Lair. I love the long shots too, because you got to give the people some long shots. So, okay, I'm going MVP Ugh, again. It's so chalky, but I just actually believe that Josh Allen is going to win the MVP. I, I just he think, was incredible in the first game. Yeah, and I, I felt like this before. That's the one thing that sucks about doing it after the game is now it sounds like so much recency bias. But I mean, he looks exactly like I expected, and he, he looks like he's going to win the MVP. The narrative is just built in for him. I my it's going to be between Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson and Mahomes to me. I'm going to go Josh Allen, but 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 this is stepping a bit on defensive player of the year. You want a long shot for the MVP of the league? 
How about a little 250 to 1 on Nick Bosa? Nick Bosa breaks the NFL sack record, and the Niners are a one seed with Trey Lance kind of, you know, with his ups and downs. But the defense is what carries the way. I like Nick Bosa not only to win Defensive Player of the Year, which I bet on, I like him to win, or nah, I mean, I'm picking Josh Allen, but I like him to hang around the MVP discussion. Because, you know, I, I, I first heard George Kittle say it. He said, you know, watch out for Bosa to like, Maybe break the sack record. Then it got me thinking, man, who would win the MVP if the Niners have the best record in the league? And then you start thinking, and it's like, I don't know, maybe Nick Bosa. So I I really like that. Offensive player of the year, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson. I'm going to go with, uh, I think Kirk Cousins is going to just throw a z- for a zillion yards, and I think Jefferson is just primed to you know, be even better than last year. Uh, it's really hard to go against Cup, though, after watching him tonight. <laughs> I mean, that was just insane. But I'm going to try and be, you know, stick to my original thing. I'm saying Jefferson. Um, and then who was the other offensive rookie of the year? All right, I'm going to get a little cute with this one. I'm going Alec Pierce. Wide receiver, Indianapolis. I think he catches double-digit touchdowns. Um, I think that he really comes on in fantasy in a way that, uh, I don't know, Mike, Mike Pittman is, is awesome as their number one. But I don't know. I, I, I think there's something about Pittman that doesn't quite, it's not quite flashy. I think if Pierce has a monster year, I could totally see him being Offensive Player of the Year, and I think he's ready to roll. Um, and then Defensive Rookie of the Year, um, I'm going Chuck. I'm going Hutchinson. I think it's just so I mean, everybody loves the Lions after hard knocks. I think, uh, you know, everybody loves the Hutchinson family. I, I, I think uh, I think Hutch, Hutch, Hutch has it in the bag. Great player. He's the favorite. Yep, he's the favorite. All right. Well, you know, if we're throwing out, a, <laughs> I guess, a more of a long shot, uh, taking a homer pick after talking to him today, Drake Jackson, man. Kid seems like he gets it. He totally gets it. And, man, he was just talking about how it's an absolute cheat code, like being around Bosa. And, man, uh, you know you know something we have to bring up? And I, I don't know if there was going to be a, a, a segment or idea to bring it up, but we have to talk about what he said about Kinlaw. What he said about Javon Kinlaw, Drake Jackson, he said that he is literally a, a mutant. Yeah, I mean, he said it like six times. Well, I mean, Javon Kinlaw is is uh, the 49ers defensive tackle, and he was uh, a high draft choice, and he's had some chronic knee problems, and now he looks to be healthy. The knee's healthy. He's lost a little bit of weight. Um, and you're talking about a guy who's – you know, 330 pounds with a six-pack who um, just has unbelievable athleticism. So a lot of people expecting him to bust out. If Javon Kinlaw plays to his potential, the 49ers have a very special defensive line. They really do because they've got Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and Drake Jackson and others. And if you can play – if you can have – you can't double everybody. So you got to double Bosa. Um, and then you've, you've got Javon Kinlaw, and you've probably got a double Eric Armstead. So, you, as I said, you know, you got, you got five offensive linemen blocking four defensive linemen, and you can double one guy, and that's going to be Bosa on this line. So how do you – what do you do 
when you have to block Javon Kinlaw uh, in a one-on-one situation and you don't have the ability to combo block him. I think that's going to be very interesting. Now, he loses leverage. He plays high. Sometimes he doesn't fulfill his he's – he's easily the biggest, strongest guy there is on the defensive line, but it's all about a leverage game. And does he, do you play low? 49ers lost D.J. Jones. And to me, D.J. Jones was the key to their run defense inside. Um, now Kinlaw's got to show that, A, he can stay healthy, B, he can play the run, and uh, C, that he can stay on the field for you know third downs instead of being just solely a run defender. And if we see in the regular season what he has shown in camp and in the preseason, um, that's going to be the NFL's scariest defensive line. Coming up next on the Tales from the Bay podcast with Larry Kruger and Ryan Smith is the great NFL network reporter, Steve Weish. And Steve is always a wealth of information to talk talk to uh, when you're talking NFL. The guy knows every team in the league. He's got insights from covering the sport on a daily basis for the NFL network. And we hope you enjoy a little bit of the Steve Weiss conversation right here. Oh, he's great. All right, Larry Kruger, Ryan Smith, and Steve Weiss from the NFL Network as we get you ready for the Niners and the Chicago Bears. Week one in the NFL is here, and Steve is with us uh, via YouTube. And Steve... uh I'm not sure what that noise was, but uh, but Steve, uh, let's talk a little bit about the 49ers. Obviously, the 49ers are a huge story right now because they're an iconic franchise, and obviously the uh, the, the Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, if you want to call it a soap opera, um, is front and center in one of the main subplots around the NFL right now. How is give us kind of the the league view? You know, we're in the market, so it's hard to get the get perspective on this. What's the league view? on how the 49ers have handled this. Are they viewed, being viewed as botching this or screwing this up, or are they being held in a more favorable light around the league? How is it being viewed? Well, they're not being viewed as botching it. I mean, this is something that everybody knew was going to happen when they made the move, when they gave up basically you know, four or five picks last year to draft Trey Lance as high as they did. Um, and so – the only thing that really got botched is when Jimmy Garoppolo had to have shoulder surgery after the season, which prevented him from getting traded. I mean, they were very upfront. Jimmy, we're going to trade you, and he was good with it. And then he had the shoulder surgery, and now there were no takers. So he redoes his contract. And I know everybody's saying, oh, this is the perfect contract for him to be a backup quarterback. No, if you look at the economics of it, it is the perfect contract to still trade. right? Let's say Kirk Cousins or somebody gets hurt. In week two or three, they've got a very tradable contract, which wasn't the case before when Jimmy would have cost the team $24 million uh, had they acquired him in a trade. Now it's going to cost them, what, $6.5, $7 million, which is very affordable. So um, from that perspective, it's clearly not botched. I think everybody is asking themselves, okay, this is a roll of the dice, taking a guy in Trey Lance in his second year who's barely played football for the past two years, and putting him on a Super Bowl-ready roster. Like, is he someone who's going to pull them back, or is he someone who's going to take them to the next level? Because the Niners very much, and they've done this twice in their history, um, when they sent away Joe Montana for Steve Young, because, okay, Steve Young's the guy who's going to continue our winning ways. And then about 10 years ago, oh, Colin Kaepernick is the guy who's going to take us 
beyond the precipice to which Alex Smith took us. So it's weird how it's kind of repeated itself for a third time. And it's, it's but, Soldier I mean, Field. Uh, you know, Kaepernick's first yeah. start was in Soldier Field. It's uh, Yeah, at, at Soldier Field, and, and it's where Jimmy Garoppolo is from. That was his hometown yeah. team. So, you know, it's, it's just really intriguing because, you know, you watch Trey Lance, and you're like, okay, he can make throws that Jimmy Garoppolo can't make. He can make runs that Jimmy Garoppolo can't make. Jimmy's just the nicest guy in the world who everybody loves. Uh, he's a pretty damn good player, but his, his durability issues are the main reason, I think, why the Niners are moving on. I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are running with, especially kind of the people that are just, you know, anti-Jimmy Garoppolo is sort of their thing. They're saying, oh, no team wanted him. Oh, he can't be traded. It's like, no, he, the, the shoulder, shoulder uh, surgery prevented all that from happening. And meanwhile, while he was rehabbing, the quarterback musical chair started and everybody sat down and then there was no home for Jimmy. That's just how it was. And also, Lair, uh, this is interesting. Uh, and I, I don't know if you, you can shed a little bit more light on it, but uh, Steve actually said on NFL Now that Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the best humans he has ever covered in his life. Yep. So. I mean, <laughs> any, and there's, there's not anybody who's ever met him who's going to disagree with that. Right? Yeah. Not, so solid not guy. Anybody who's ever met him will disagree with that. He that's is, what he also. A, he's a pro's pro, but he's also a world-class human being. And what, no what, doubt. Did you, what did you make of that Mike Silver report, like with the phone and all? Because that was one thing that I thought was weird is like everybody says he's the greatest guy ever but then all of a sudden that report comes out that he's been ghosting them this whole time and uh, it just seemed odd and weird and i'm not sure yeah, when he went when he went away to work out for the offseason how they couldn't get in touch with him and things yeah. like that right well look I'm, I'm really tight with mike silver uh he ain't pulling that stuff out of his butt mm. you know yeah. that's information that's information he's getting from the team from don Yee, you know grapple's agent i don't know but somewhere in that circle he's getting that information um, if it happened, it happened, but a lot of guys do that, you know, to their teams. It may not necessarily ghost them, but they might not be anywhere to be found once the offseason hits. You know, they may they may pick up the phone. You know, they may stay in communication. But, I mean, imagine being Jimmy Garoppolo. You took this team to the Super Bowl. You didn't take them, but you were the quarterback of the team that went to the Super Bowl. And then, what, two years later, you know, they're giving up the farm to trade for your replacement. Then you get this team, you help get this team to the NFC Championship game, and they're like, yeah, we're done with you. And, I mean, it wasn't like they got their butts kicked in the NFC Championship game. You know, Jimmy did have a couple picks, though. So but they just feel that they've got somebody who can get them beyond, much like Jim Harbaugh thought, that Colin Kaepernick could get the Niners beyond what Alex Smith set up. And it worked. Yeah, I mean, seriously, the Niners were five yards away from a Super Bowl win over the Ravens in New Orleans. Um, how do you view the NFC competition? Because I see this thing. I, I know Trey Lance on paper probably should not lead a team to the Super Bowl, but I don't see the roster that competes necessarily with the 49ers. It seems like they have one of, if not the best roster in the conference. They've got their, their roster talent wise are probably within a top four. You know, but every, every one of those teams has a question mark. Nobody's got a better roster than the Rams, right? They've got quarterback. They've got the receivers. They've got the running backs. They've got the defensive front. They've got the linebackers now with Bobby Wagner. they got dudes in the secondary. Um, some questions on the offensive line, but 
not like other teams, right? Niners have some questions on the offensive line. Yep. Um, it's just that it's at the most important position with Trey Lance, but so what? Kyle Shanahan, pretty damn good coach, man. And, and as much as we keep talking about Trey Lance has to work wonders, this is a run-first offense. So the run's got to work for the whole offense to work. You know, when you look at the rest of the NFC, you know, I think the Packers are, you know, they're, they're, their wide receivers are a question mark, but they're really strong everywhere else. You know, offensive line's pretty good. Defense is loaded, right? That defense for the Packers is loaded. Very good running backs. Um, Tampa Bay, that interior offensive line is like, whoa. I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of coaches in the NFL, and they're like, man, if you're able to get that pressure inside on Tom Brady, he's not the guy who's going to bounce it outside the pocket. You know, he's got to step up and throw. And this could this could get a little tedious for him. It, it, it really could. So we'll see. The Saints roster is pretty damn strong, too. But they've yeah. got a question. Can James Winston bounce back? So those are the teams right there. I think we're kind of – there's two other rosters. I think the Eagles are, are really freaking loaded at all levels. And they've got a really good offensive line. Uh, and the Vikings are a team that I don't think we're giving enough conversation to. Um, in terms of their overall talent, especially when you've got someone like Justin Jefferson uh, who can absolutely light up a defense. Yeah, and so kind of following up, similar question. So what teams in the NFC do you think even have a possibility of making it to the Super Bowl? So you you mentioned the Rams, Niners, Tampa Bay, Green Bay. Philadelphia. Yeah, I think they could win. There's definitely a possibility that they could, you know, have the best record and then they get the buy and things could work out. I agree with that. Yeah. Philadelphia, Philadelphia is really strong in terms of their roster. Um, again, and the saints, I mean, if Jameis is, is, is halfway decent. I mean, that defense is, is a real one. I mean, they're like the Niners in terms of being able to intimidate, uh, have linebackers who can run and hit and cover and their secondary, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this Marcus May incident, you know, how that's going to hurt their secondary. Because uh, remember, they lost Marcus Williams, too, in free agency to Baltimore. So Ty Matthews back there, but he's got to have somebody else next to him who can play. They're hoping it was Marcus May, but we'll, so we'll see if there's any discipline that comes out of his recent incident. But those, those to me, are the teams. That, yeah, you know, I'm not – again, I, I am not discounting the Vikings here. I mean, you know, there's teams we don't talk about. That's, that's a team that could – Okay, I could really get going, man. You know, if Kevin O'Connell, the first year coach, can can have that, you know, that that good old Sean McVay horseshoe like Zach Taylor did with the Bengals, you know, we'll see. You know, it's funny, but we talk about this is the time of year we talked a lot about bust out players and teams. I, on the Niners, I like Javon Kinlaw and Danny Gray. I think, I think Kinlaw potentially could really take off. Gray, you know, Trey Lance throws a pretty deep ball, and Gray's got elite speed. I'm sure you've been yeah. in a bunch of camps and talked to a bunch of team, a bunch of uh, different players. Do you have a bust out or breakout, maybe a surprise player or two or team that's on your radar, Steve, uh, going into the regular season? Oh, sure. Well, first off, can we also give some, uh, you know, come to the Niners and bust out the odds, the, the linebackers not named Fred Warner? Yes. Aziz Alshair, Dre Greenlaw. I mean, Alshair, my God. Impressive. That, that dude is so good. And then Dre Greenlaw is just so fast. And when, you know, he gets there, he arrives. He is not knocking on your door. He's kicking it in. Right. So, I, I mean, I love him. He's one of my favorite 
players in the NFL had the player of the year a couple of years ago against Seattle when he made the tackle at the goal line. So when you talk about, you know, stud players right there, I know it sounds kind of obvious, but a guy who I've seen and who people have seen in, in joint practices who they say is really going to take off, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence after the debacle that was Jacksonville last year, the first mm. overall pick, a quarterback. I think he's going to take a significant leap. So that's a player uh, to look out for. I mean, if he's healthy, I think Quiddy Pay, the pass rusher for the Indianapolis Colts, having Yannick Ngakwe on one side and DeForest Buckner on the interior in his second year, uh, I think he's somebody who who really could, you know, kind of jump off the the radar uh, a little bit. You know, player again, he was second team All Pro, but nobody talks about him. Is AJ Terrell, cornerback for the Atlanta Falcons. Dude's stud, big physical player, got a lot of Jalen Ramsey skill set uh, ability. So he's he's another guy. I guess we can't say kind of a, a bust out player because he's already uh, really good. And he kind of got me on that one. Uh, some guys I'm thinking of is Gabe Davis is another guy, the wide receiver for the Bills. Who's yeah, he's been really good. Who's who's really jumped out? What about so, rookies? You, do you have any rookies that you uh, you know have a strong opinion on? Maybe, maybe outside of the you know the Hutchinsons of the world. Any that dude, that dude. First off, I've seen him for you know I do Falcons preseason games, uh-huh. and their first game was against Detroit. And the first two plays of the game, I mean, he makes plays. He chases Marcus Mariota downfield, catches him, and puts a lick on him. And I was like, he came from across the field and did that, and then he busted up another. But he's real. What a talent. <laughs> He he is real. I mean, that guy is family. I just I've never seen such a supportive fam like that. They're all freaking football players and you know beauty queens and uh, it's just uh, I, I there's, love. There's, there's there's quite a few of those in the NFL. You you you'd be surprised. <laughs> there's, there's quite a few of, of those um, in the NFL. Wow. In, in terms of uh, rookies, um, I, I think Drake London. Uh, the wide receiver, you know, he, now we'll see if he's going to play week one. He banged uh-huh. up his knee against the Lions. Uh, you know, his basketball skills, he's a big, he's got Calvin Johnson size, but he's got great feet, right? So he can route, route guys up um, that way right there. I'm trying to think. James Cook, second round running Ooh. back for Buffalo. Dalvin's little brother. Dalvin's little brother. I mean, I know they're talking about a three-headed monster with Singletary and, yeah. and Zach Moss, but man. Watching that dude in the preseason, he's tougher. I think he's tougher than what people think. He's definitely fast. Um, receiving ability, and in that offense, he might he might end up being uh, an, an absolute monster. So there's a lot of there's a lot of rookies out there, but I mean Aiden Hutchinson's the one though. He's a dude I saw was like yeah. I mean, I know Trayvon Walker was the first overall pick, and he he's one of those dudes you look at. You're like, I don't see many dudes like him. But for immediate impact, Aiden Hutchinson, man. I mean, I'm telling you, that guy is different. I think when we were doing our NFL draft coverage, I called him, uh, and this is not a slight at all because Bosa is so incredible. I think I called him Kirkland brand Bosa. And I, I, you know, you may want to take that back. No, I, I'm sticking with it. I think Bosa is going to be defensive player of the year. And you know what? Kirkland, He's got a damn good shot. Costco's a great store, and Kirkland makes some really <laughs> – So, you know. 
Steve, tell us a little bit about the Chicago Bears. And the Niners' first week uh, opponent here is the Bears. Matt Eberflus comes over from Indy. New defensive coordinator. Um, not the same D-line as we remember. Keem Hicks no. and Mack and these guys, Getty Goldman, they're all moved on. Um, but what do you think of the Bears? I mean, the Bears, I think I like their young GM, Ryan Poles, and I think that they had a pretty decent draft. Um, we're all looking for fields to kind of take the next step. What are you hearing about Chicago? Well, first off, the coaching staff, just based on the preseason, they seem to have a blueprint. Whereas last year, you know, when Fields came in, the coaches were in survival mode and just really not giving them a fair opportunity to do things. They've got a pretty good offensive line where they can run the ball. That's going to be huge. But otherwise, I mean, you know, you got Mooney, good receiver. But this is a team uh, that does not have a ton of top-shelf talent. They're going to compete. You know, but at some point, you've got to have players make plays, and who's that guy for the Bears? I mean, you just really – I mean, you lose Allen Robinson. I mean, they've got – I mean, maybe they'll surprise me, but there's one of those teams like, man, I really hope Justin Fields doesn't get scarred going through a I season know. like this. And, and, and it's weird because, you know, you've got someone like Trey Lance who we've got all these questions about, but, my God, he's got a soft pillow to sleep on with that roster, right? <laughs> yeah. He's got a lot of support. Yeah. Just, Justin Fields is on like two wooden boards on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, again, I'm not trying to be disparaging, but I'm just right. kind of like, you look at what they're surrounding him with, and this might be a rookie year all over again. He looked good in the preseason, so hopefully it's not. But I mean, he got 17 games against real dudes like the Niners now. Um, I think they're only favored in two games this year. And uh, I think I read off the, the stats yesterday. I'll try and find them. But in terms of like, point, you, know, uh, you know, money allotted to uh, the different positions, they're like 31st in offensive line, 30th in wide receivers, uh, 29th in running backs or something like that. So just n- no help at all. Exactly what we'd expect. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that's, you know, that's competing in a regatta with a kayak. Uh, what do you think of hard knocks this year with i mean dan campbell is just i think one of the stars of the summer in a lot of ways hell yeah he was (laughs) he's a character man i mean his whole staff well first off you know when he put his staff yeah deuce staley's been great when he put his staff together last year when they had anthony lynn who is now the niners running back coach and assistant head coach um i was like man that's a good staff you know, when you've got Aaron Glenn, who's going to be a head coach in the next year or two, is your DC, um, widely respected. He he hires Aubrey Pleasant as his passing game coordinator on defense. He came comes over from the Rams. You know, they've got a whole lot of Rams influence right there. Brad Holmes, their general manager. Um, you know, a lot of front office guys from the Rams. Uh, Ray Agnew, who's due to pound to the table years ago for Aaron Donald when they were going to go in another direction. He's in Detroit. Um, so they've got an influence, but that staff is really good. My whole thing that I wonder about though, covering the league as long as I have and things like that is, do you really want to hear your coach's voice that much? And if you've got a young team, I think that's okay. Like the lions, because they clearly have bought in, um, but a veteran team, I don't know if it works, you know, so, so we'll see, but I think the lions are going to, you know, last year with three and thirteen or three and fourteen, I think, or three thirteen and one, I forget what it was, but they 
you know, they put some bruises on some people. This year, some of those bruises are going to turn into wins. Uh, last one for me. Maybe Rye has one more for you. But do you do Super Bowl predictions? I mean, I'm going Niners, Bills. I think the 49ers are, are the best team in the NFC. I think Buffalo, it's just their time. Uh, and I like their offseason additions. Uh, you know, they go Chris Berman special, Niners and Bills. What are, you, what are you going with? Or do you have a pick? It's worthless right now. Uh, I think the Rams get back. Wow. wow. I, think, I, think, I think they're going to add Odell in December um, to that receiving crew. Um, and I think it's the Chiefs, man. I, I know, you know, they're not trendy because they lost Tyreek Hill. Andy Reid has reinvented his teams over and over. They've added, they made some needed changes on defense yet. You know, Ty Matthew losing him in the secondary is tough. Lost a corner, but they replaced him with some really good young talent. Drafted well. Carlath, this looks like a real deal. I guess maybe, what, what do you want to call him if, uh, you know, if Aiden Hutchinson is, is the Kirklands, Nick Bosa, <laughs> yeah. you know, is Carlath this like, um, I don't know, the Ralphs, Nick Bosa? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. But, but <laughs> I, I think the Chiefs, but when it's all said and done, as good as that division is, I think Andy Reid is worth the win at the right time when you look at all the coaches and the situations there. So I, I like I like the Rams and the Chiefs. Ryan, you got one last one for Steve before we let him go? Wait, wait, uh, I want to hear Ryan. I want to hear Ryan Super Bowl. Yeah, who you got, Ryan? Oh, I got the Ravens. I got the Ravens. First of all, my final four, which I, I haven't said yet, but my final four is Kansas City – they're going to play on the road in Baltimore. And the other side, I've got Green Bay or Green Bay hosting the Niners. Another Lambo game for oh, the Niners. Man. This time, oh. it's, it's I think it's going to be Trey. Uh, and then I've got Ravens, Niners, Super Bowl, Ravens winning it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I love what you're saying about the Chiefs, though, because people – I was just saying this yesterday. People are sleeping, and it's kind of – I can see a scenario where Mahomes kind of has the Steph Curry – 2022 type year where it's like, all right, everybody slept on me. Now I've just got a team that's solely built around me. And you know what? Like I, I don't need Tyree kill. You know what? I, oh, you're talking about Herbert and the chargers. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. Like, you know, Raiders um, and then, you know, the Denver Broncos. So I heard me hearing a lot of people predicting Broncos win the Super Bowl. So yeah, I, I love that. I mean, Andy Reid always takes care of the you know first four weeks of the season. He's just unbelievable, and you just got to get off to that good start. And then I think every year since Alex Smith was there, they've had at least a five game winning streak during the season. So I think it's safe. I, I, I like. So the who do you got? You got Ravens over who? Real Packers quick, or over Ravens. Real, real quick, man. Yeah. Ravens and Packers in the Super Bowl, which is like death to fantasy footballers because there's not one wide receiver on any wide <laughs> oh, Maybe Juju Smith-Schuster, who makes you go like, yeah, that's going to happen. Oh, that's yeah, so funny. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Rashad Bateman is the top of the top. There you go. It'll be the tight end. It'll be the tight end Super Bowl. You know, it's funny. I asked somebody uh, around the league who I trust this week for their bold prediction, and he said that the Rams aren't going to even be the best team of L.A. Uh, but that's obviously a guy that's who's feeling reach, good. Though. Yeah, exactly. the Chargers. Telesco is a great young GM for sure. If the head coach stops going for it on, on so many fourth downs, uh, you got to like the Chargers kind of quietly. They, the they have the best roster coming into 
the NFL. They have yeah. the becoming into the season. They have the most complete roster. Yeah. No, it's I mean, exciting. you go through it, it's, it's, it is insane. Okay. And then you look at the Bears roster and you're like, my God, I'm sorry. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Okay, this is my last question. Okay. So just think in your mind right now, you know, think about the scenario of the Niners making the Super Bowl this year. Okay, when you close your eyes and you think about it, February 2023, Niners are in the Super Bowl. Who's the starting quarterback? Who's the one who was able to bring them there? If the Niners go to the Super Bowl, it is all about the Trey area. All right. I love I I like that. that. I mean, if they get to the Super Bowl, it's, it's Trey Lance. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, have you, Steve, have you met Trey? Have you had any personal I, I've not, I've not had. I've not had the types of conversation, only in news conference settings. Whereas with Jimmy, I've had a lot of conversations, but with Trey, only in news conference settings. Yeah, you're going to love this kid. I mean, he's just so wired, right? I used to scout in the Canadian League and scouted his father, Carlton, when he was with Saskatchewan. And and just great, you know, the old saying, apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. You know, you got good mom and dad. You got to have a good good kid most, more times than not. And uh, Trey's, he's solid. He's solid. You're going to like him. I, I look forward to him. He's from Minnesota. I'm a Minnesota native, so I look forward to meeting him. Trey, uh, Steve, thanks again for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it and have a phenomenal year this year for the NFL Network. We really enjoy your work. Keep it rolling, man. Yeah, I want to circle back for that Super Bowl pick too, my man. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate thanks, Steve. it. Steve Weish, everybody. All right, we continue with the Tales from the Bay podcast. Larry Kruger and Ryan Smith and Randy Mueller has been an NFL personnel executive for years and years. And his brother and I, Rick Mueller, worked together in the Canadian League way, way back. Now they're both personnel executives in the XFL. And Randy is the former general manager of the of the uh, Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints. Worked in Seattle for years and years doing personnel there. And, uh, you know, a great conversation. And, and we definitely want to get Randy's thoughts on uh, Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo and how he sees that playing out on the 49ers this year. And just another fun guy to talk to, Ray. Oh, absolutely. There's some spicy takes you will not want to miss. All right, welcome to the Krug Show. Larry Kruger, Ryan Smith, and ex-Dolphins and Saints general manager Randy Mueller, whose brother Rick and I worked together in the Canadian League back in the mid-'90s with the old Sacramento Gold Miners, and Randy's with us to uh, to talk a little Niner football, talk a little bit about the season ahead. Randy, thanks for some time. My pleasure. It's good to be with you guys. You're bringing back the, the Gold Miners. That's awesome. I went to a few of those games. I puts a smile on my face. Well, you know, we wanted to have you on, Randy. First of all, Rick, how is Rick doing? I know both you guys are still very much involved in football, and it's like a kind of a personnel, you know, it's a personnel family, huh? You guys are both involved in the player personnel side of things. Yeah, we are. We were lucky to, uh, I want to say, have jobs where it didn't seem like work. You know, I spent 35 years in the league myself, and he's probably got 20-some, but we're both actually kind of excited. Now we're both involved in the retake up of the XFL. And I'm in the Seattle team. He's with Bob Stoops in Dallas. So, um, yeah, kind of a winding down type role for both of us. But it's been fun. We're kind of building our teams ready to play next January. So looking forward to it. 
Well, good luck to you guys. And both you guys are outstanding, proven personnel guys for sure. Um, I was really distinctly, uh, you know, blessed that year in Sacramento because I had not only did I have Rick Mueller and the late Biller Bannock uh, and Case Stevenson and a lot of great coaches, but then Joe Woolley was there and Joe was a, a wealth of personnel information. And I would sit around the room and listen to Rick and, and Joe and some of these guys go back and forth on players for hours. And it was really a, <laughs> it was an education. So why don't we start there your professional evaluation of Trent of uh, Trey Lance coming out of North Dakota State um, you know he had that last year we only played the one game against Central Arkansas uh, so he was very limited I, I saw a stat on draft day that no quarterback had in the last 40 years of the NFL draft had ever been had ever gone in round one and threw fewer passes than what Trey threw at North Dakota State so to me me when the 49ers took him Randy it was it was definitely like the big swing right they were taking a big swing on a projectable quarterback prospect that still needed a lot of coaching up that still needed a lot of tutelage and a lot of a lot of refining if you if you will but what did you see with Trey coming out of North Dakota State because now there's a lot of discussion about his throwing motion and his hitch and his this and his that and he's been scrutinized to death but you're a professional evaluator what did you see well you're right about one thing i'm a professional evaluator that has been at it a long time but i will say this about trey lance and my opinion thoughts philosophy on him has not changed i understand that the 49ers took a risk in trading up to get him and i've said from day one that's a risk that i really couldn't have taken based on everything you just said larry the 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 minimal throws the minimal competition all of the above, and it, we can see the upside. We can see the sky is the you know limit with him. But I just couldn't see enough on tape in the body of work that I saw that warranted moving up to make a deal like that. So I kind of took Trey Lance out, and I look at all the quarterbacks. I look at all the players really each year. So I got sure. a lot of film on him. I kind of took him out of my equation because I just couldn't do that. And I'm not saying the 49ers are wrong. I'm not saying Kyle's wrong. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying my experience as, like you said, a, a team builder and evaluator, I just couldn't make that deal. I couldn't risk. I didn't have enough information to make that deal. So that was, you know, uh, you know, a, a deal that I think obviously it's come under scrutiny since then. Having said that, um, I think he's a work in progress. That's the best I could say about it. Now, I haven't been there every day. I haven't seen the practices. I do know this going into last year. I remember Kyle saying we're going to use him in certain packages. We're going to use him to do certain things to supplement Jimmy G with him. I don't think any of that happened. And so there's something that some kind of a disconnect there that that didn't happen. So I'm still waiting to see it with Trey Lance. I understand that Kyle's gone out of his way to really tell us how uh, good Trey has been in the offseason. But I'm ready, not ready to drink the Kool-Aid yet. I, I want to see it myself. And so I just haven't seen enough of that to where, gosh, I surely couldn't stake a playoff team's future on him right now. Before Ride jumps in, give me your your. Do you have a thought on his throwing motion as you've seen it? I mean, there is a little bit of a a, a little. I don't want to say it's a hitch, but it's a little bit of a, a wind up. Um, it's not. It's not that he's giving. It's not that it's a slow release. It's just that his take back has a little circle to it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see anything fundamentally wrong with the way he throws the football? 
I think what you see is what you get at this stage. Now, we can talk about adjusting that throwing motion. You can talk about some of the little things you can tweak it. But as you guys know, when you get under the gun, when the real bullets start flying, guess what happens? You revert back to how you know how to do it and how you've done it your whole life. So I don't know technically that there's anything that's fixable or changeable. Maybe minutely there is. I agree with you. I think the throwing motion, you know, would, but but I saw that early on. I, I think they would have seen that in college as well, that the throwing motion is a little different. There just wasn't enough of all the throws that you would look at to check all the boxes to warrant, you know, really the, the, uh, giving away future picks and all the other, you know, capital that they gave up to get up there to get him. So, um, you know, I'm far from a, a quarterback technical guy. I played the position. I understand how it works. I do know that the ball has to come out quickly. Um, I guess we'll see. I just, we haven't seen this kid under duress enough to, to be able to make a judgment in my opinion. So I, I know there's been a couple analysis guys who have said he's a year away from being a year away. That kind of was my opinion of him last year. So I haven't seen anything different because we haven't played any games. Well, go ahead, Ryan, jump in. Well, Randy, you, uh, you yeah, you, you know, you took uh, the words out of my mouth. That's that's exactly what I said as well. He was a year away from being a year away. <clears throat> and um, I think people got a little bit, I don't know, the expectations for him uh, and essentially coincided with, you know, ripping on Jimmy G and kind of building Trey up into this thing where in reality, no one's seen him play enough to have a super strong take on him either way. Um, And I I was wondering in your opinion, uh, are you expecting week one that we're going to see a little bit less of the traditional Shanahan offense and, you know, a little more just focusing on uh, defense run game and actually getting the quarterback involved in the run game, like maybe, you know, carrying the ball six, 10 times. Well, I think he has to. I think he's got to play to his strengths. But here's the hard part. When you start doing that, you kind of limit what you do offensively. And and mm-hmm. when the scheme goes away to a point to to highlight a specific player and a skill set, it's easier to defend, in my opinion. So I don't know what we're going to see, to be honest with you. What I, what I would forecast is ups and downs. That's going to be the case, I think, throughout the first half of the season for sure. I think you're going to have a lot. You're going to have to take the bad with the good. It's just the way it is. The kid hasn't seen the speed of the game as to how it's going to unfold. Um, I think the fascinating thing about at least opening weekend for me is that we get to see him against Justin Fields, right? And it's two guys that everybody had opinions on a year ago. They were developed in different ways. They've been under the microscope in both of their cities. I think it's fun that we can actually sit and decide ourselves. We don't have to go on coach speak or what anybody's saying we get to watch and see where they are in their development you know the thing about trey that i really liked um and still like is that i i really believe that you know first of all football's a family business carlton played in the cfl with saskatchewan i remember scouting him he was a defensive back so you know i really believe the kid loves the process of football right the the you know watching the film watching the cut up film doing them doing you know putting in the the mental reps the physical reps with your receivers um the field work the mechanics i really think he's going to get there because i think he's wired right here i think he's tremendously athletic and i think there's enough there's enough upside potential 
but it's definitely not some quarterbacks they say are born others are made let's say Steve Young was made or maybe a Joe Montana was born uh, and I when I say that I know that's generalizing but just there's a lot of natural things that Joe did that Steve didn't do until you know the until he was in the league eight nine years I really believe Trey's going to get there Randy I just don't know that it's going to be this year and it's not always a, a, a straight line to success he reminds me in a lot of ways of Alex Smith who was a great quarterback prospect on paper coming out of Utah but he was you know coming out of a gimmicky offense and had to transition to the NFL tighter windows everything's faster faster athletes and he looked like a fish out of water that first year now we know Alex made three pro, pro bowls <clears throat> except none of them he was drafted in number one pick in 05 his first pro bowl was 2013 it took eight years so there I really see I hate to put that on Trey that it's going to take that long but I think if you ask me about Trey what's my evaluation I'd say he's eventually going to get there in my mind I, I really believe that I just don't know that it's going to be this year next year if it's going to be right away and we're in a very impatient deal you don't get forever do you, can you see that as far as the you know how much does do you scout the player and what you're seeing on the film as opposed to the makeup of the kid the drive the work ethic how all in he is on the process of pro football no, I think you bring up some really good points, and I think the process and the work ethic and the time spent is all important, especially at this position. But here's my problem. I just haven't seen enough of this kid to even project him into the role that they are pre projecting him in. So it's just I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying I haven't seen him do it at North Dakota State. I didn't see it in, in his first year with the 49ers, so I just don't know. I think it's risky at best. And I've said from day one, I just don't know how they could turn over the keys to the whole car to this kid, knowing what we all know now. Yeah, we've got to jump in and, and, and give him the ball. But like you said, it may take two or three years. We all know Aaron Rodgers sat three years. All these guys sit different times. Some play right away and it ruins them. Some, again, it depends. The best thing he has going for him is he's got a good team around him. So that's a plus. And a lot of these guys don't. I mean, even with Justin Fields in Chicago, who obviously the 49ers open against, his his surrounding cast isn't anywhere near what the 49ers have. So all of these are, are elements of really just with Trey Lance, the unknown. And I'll say once again, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying I'm not smart enough to say he can from the stuff I've seen. And that includes all his college stuff and the first year. I I can't I can't tell you. I just haven't seen enough. I, maybe Kyle has seen something that none of us have. God bless him. I mean, he he's smart. He gets it. I just haven't seen it yet. That's all. Well, and I, I think that's extremely telling for and that's something people need to hear because there's so many, you know, people on Twitter who are, quote unquote, like scouts at this point, 49er scouts. And, uh, you know, they all have these super strong opinions. Got a guy down here who won a GM of the year and he's saying, I'm look, I'm not smart enough to evaluate it based off the sample size. I think that's exactly right. Um, and, you know. I really believe they have the best roster outside of quarterback in the league. And these guys want to win a Super Bowl. Um, everything I, we've heard has been very kumbaya coming out of there. You know, him and Jimmy are super close. The locker room, it's a very team for it goes like I think Sherman said team, then teammate, then, you know, self. Um, so that all sounds great. But do you think around week eight? 
um, that, you know, let's say there's Trey's struggling a little bit. Do you think that the players are going to let, you know, Kyle know uh, if, if they think, you know, Jimmy is the guy? And do you think that that could cause some issues down the you know stretch run of the season if uh, they feel like they don't have the best guy back there to actually keep going and win ball games? Well, I, all I know is what I've used as my gauge throughout all my time as being a decision maker in the NFL is the locker room kind of pretty much rule. And I would make sure I had the pulse of those leaders, whether it's Trent Williams or Bosa or, or Debo Samuels. Those guys are your leaders, right? And I would definitely have their, their pulse on how they feel. I've said all along that having Jimmy G back is a good thing. I think it's insurance against the ups and downs. This is a playoff team. We need to be able to win games, not at the expense of developing Trey Lance. I think that's the delineation, right? This can't be a referendum on Trey Lance. If it is, Kyle's going to lose some credibility in the locker room because I don't think that you can do that. I think they want to win games. They ought to win games. They should win games, and they all know it. One thing about players is they know, and they know the reasons that they're being held back or the reasons they're going forward. So I do think they will have a voice in this whenever it is. But here's the thing. I don't think it's a long-range problem. I don't think Trey Lance is going to be affected long-term by having Jimmy G there. Here's the thing that I would be concerned about, because I've heard the criticisms now that, well, now Trey has to look over his shoulder. This is pro football. This is big boy football. We're all looking over our shoulders every day at our job, right? Trust me. If his skin is that thin, we got the wrong guy. I don't care. So I'm not worried about that. And here's the other thing. Jimmy G signed a one-year deal. This is a one-year deal. It's not a referendum on his development. I saw Mike Holmgren in Seattle bench Trent Dilfer. I saw him bench Matt Hasselbeck. Guess what? They came back and took him to a Super Bowl. So, hey, suck it up, Buttercup. We got to do what we got to do to win. And winning is what the locker room, what it matters. And they know the decisions that the coach makes or that the GM makes affect winning. That's when they're going to judge the decision makers. So it's, it may be a little convoluted. But it's not a participation trophy, and it can't always be about just developing a particular player. It's more about what's right for the team in the 49ers. Give us your evaluation on Jimmy, because, you know, the league kind of spoke on him this year. The fact that he was now, I don't know if they were speaking out against Jimmy, the quarterback and the flaws that he's demonstrated, or if it was really a pushback on, I don't want to trade for that player at that price tag. We're in a salary cap era and he had a $25 million plus price tag. But now the 49ers have essentially, um, with the work of Don Yee and the okay of Jimmy G have reworked that deal. It's now a, but a much more tradable deal. I looked at the deal to bring back Jimmy G as just an overwhelming positive. You took an asset that you could not move. You gave yourself a month long or six week long insurance on a quarterback that's extremely talented, but very raw and unknown. And so you have Jimmy there as an insurance policy, but you've also upped his value because now he's a, he's a very palatable six point two million dollar deal for any acquiring team. Um, but what is your evaluation of Jimmy? Because to me, Randy, I see a player that um, has a lot of leadership traits and is tough and and is resilient emotionally, physically, as far as he'll bounce back if he makes a bad play. I think he's a good leader. But I'm also seeing the same things that the same flaws that made the 49ers yearn for somebody better. Uh, he doesn't throw the deep ball. He's not great late in the down. He doesn't really make you defend outside the numbers. There's some huge passes 
patches of real estate that you really don't have to defend against Jimmy Garoppolo. So late in the down, defenders cheat to the middle. He floats passes late in the middle of the field. They wind up intercepted. That's what I'm seeing. You're far more advanced in your evaluation skills than I am. Give me your thoughts on what you thought of Jimmy coming out of uh, out of uh, the FCS level, coming into the draft as a second-round pick, and what do you think of him right now? Well, I think the process has done well. I mean, he's obviously improved since he came out of, you know, Southern Illinois or wherever it was, the small school, right? Um, I think this, and I, and I think this probably is what led Kyle and John to the decision of, of drafting a Trey Lance. I, and I go back a couple years with this, Larry. You remember a Monday night game they played at home against Seattle, and Seattle really came after Jimmy G. And, I mean, they got after him. They blitzed the sink, and it was ugly. And I think the 49ers ended up still winning the game. But I felt like from that point on, under pressure, Kyle knew he had to call a different game with Jimmy G. He made some critical mistakes. He had to mix in a bunch of screens and draws. He had to take the pressure off Jimmy G because I think that in Jimmy G's, you know, uh, outside of his wheelhouse is dealing with pressure, especially up the gut. And he will make some critical errors when he's pressured. Now, a lot of NFL guys will. But I think from that day on, Kyle thought he had to call a different style of game with Jimmy G there. He wanted a more athletic guy. He wanted a guy that could break out of the pocket. He wanted a guy that could fix things when it didn't go like he drew it up on the board. And that's not Jimmy. Jimmy's got to have it drawn up, kind of how Kyle sees it. And he's not able to ad-lib quite as much as a guy like Trey Lance. And I think that's what led him to a little more athletic guy, a guy that can break out of the pocket and do some things on his own. So I think his his evaluation has evolved to the point where that kind of led them to choose a different quarterback. Having said that, I agree with you on, on, on the restructuring of the deal, what him and Don Yee did. But you remember, they gave him permission, really, to talk as far back as March to other teams. So that's the, the little bit of of the lead in this story is that Jimmy and Don had five months to figure out the best landing spot. They couldn't, they could have, everybody said Seattle's waiting for him to cut him. Seattle's waiting for him to cut him. Well, he could have came to Seattle. He could have forced them to cut, get cut and come to Seattle. He didn't do that. I think Jimmy G sees his path to one winning and two playing again as pretty good by staying in San Francisco. So that's a little bit telling as well uh, with the Trey Lance story is Jimmy seen all this evolution of Trey Lance. I don't think, you know, he would have stayed had he not thought that he was going to get the ball at some point. So I think he's going to be reinserted just a matter of when. That's just my opinion from 30,000 feet, whatever it's worth. Well, uh, following up on Jimmy, you know, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, everybody or not everybody, but a lot of people are saying, you know, the league sort of told everyone what they think of Jimmy because he didn't get traded. Uh, personally, I feel like it's it, it just had to do with the injury. And then, you know, because of the injury, the quarterback musical chairs that goes on, uh, by the time he was ready, you know, all the seats had been taken. Everybody had moved on because you got to move on. You got you to come up with a plan. You can't, can't wait till, you know, th- that late in the season to find your quarterback. So I, I think that there are places out there for him. Um, and with that said, now a lot of people are saying instant reaction. This makes this contract, you know, tradable. Uh, he's going to get moved at the deadline to some team like the commanders or whatever that loses Wentz or let's just say. Um, do you feel like he there's a strong chance he's going to be traded because 
There was a no trade clause included in the contract. There's playing incentives that can go up to 16 million that were included in the contract. And if they just wait out the year, they get a third round compensatory. So do you think that there really is going to be a market that is going to be that drastically better than the compensatory that, you know, they would actually be able to to trade him? That's a great question. I do. I don't think he will be traded. I just think he he controls that now, right? By yeah. having no trade clause, doesn't mean that they can't trade him, but he gets to say yay or nay. So I don't think he will get traded. Um, I agree with you. The market, I don't see it as the prior market. I don't see it as a referendum on Jimmy. Like you said, he had the shoulder. He had the twenty four million, you know, on the on the salary. So there were a bunch of reasons, and there wasn't a great thirst for guys like him around the league. But I think that was more in general than it was a specific, you know, referendum on Jimmy can't do it. So I do think he'll end up playing again somewhere next year. How it all works out, I think, is dependent on one thing, how Trey Lance plays the first month of the season. I think that dictates everything for me. Um, There's no way I could trade Jimmy G if Trey Lance is up and down. If he's off the charts, great. Maybe you see a little window where Jimmy G can leave town. But, you know, I think it's all dependent on how Trey does, how the 49ers do. Um, that determines whether, you know, they can get anything for Jimmy G at all at some point. You know, I remember Randy, we're talking to Randy Mueller, a longtime NFL uh, executive with the Dolphins and, and Saints and has worked around the league and worked now working in the XFL or the, uh, yeah, the, the remade XFL, um, the second edition of the XFL. Um, Rick Mueller, your brother, I remember sitting around and we were having a conversation about quarterbacks. And he made a statement. He said, you know what? There's always a race that starts at the beginning of a quarterback's NFL life. And it's can he learn what to do and get up to speed on the speed of the game and how fast every how quickly the windows open and close? Um, can he get used to NFL complexity uh, and NFL speed before they get their body you know, beaten up to the point where they're now diminished. And the name that came up or the name that, um, you know, came up when I was thinking about this in re in more recent vintage after that point, um, was Rick Meyer, who at that point when we were having the conversation, I think was NFL rookie of the year, uh, that first year. And then in three years in a row, Rick was the most sacked quarterback in the league. And he, lost a little bit of his timing. I think a little bit of his belief, a little bit of his conviction, he lost something. And then physically he might've been a little bit diminished and a quarterback prospect that a lot of personnel people loved became not the same player four years in that he was uh, that first year in Um, that all being said, the 49ers have, Spencer Burford, a rookie at right tackle, right guard, I should say. And they've got Aaron Banks, essentially a rookie, only had like very few snaps. And they're going with Jake Brendel, who's a street free agent um, at center to start. They're very inexperienced inside. How concerned are you that the 49ers have an equation that's built with a very unproven quarterback? And then the interior of the offensive line, there's not that stalwart. There's not that rock that you can absolutely depend on. Um, and and you may see pressure up the gut. And that's, you know, you want to hurt a quarterback's uh, confidence, have a lot of pressure in his face. How do you see that setup playing itself out? Well, I think you're right. I think so many of these quarterback situations are organizational failures or successes. I mean, you go back to the Rick Meyer days. I lived at Larry. I didn't have to hear it from anybody. I'm the guy that traded Rick Meyer to Chicago. <laughs> so, um, 
So you saw that. Huh? You, and, and, and is that, a, was that a correct assessment of what went on there? Yeah, you left out of my bio my 20 years with the Seahawks. So that's <laughs> well, I lived it. Week to week, I lived it. And Dennis Erickson was our coach at the time, and, and uh, neither one of us was in charge when we drafted Rick, but he was our quarterback. So in Rick's case, I think it was the more we gave him offensively, the less we got out of him. And so the point is, it is about the system. It is about the scheme. It is about the people around you. And like I said, so many of these quarterback situations are organizational in, in, in a sense. So I agree with you. I think, I think this one comes back to me on Kyle. I think he's the one that took the stand on him. He's the guy that has to run the offense. He's the one that has to call the plays. I think he's the one that knows if there is some inferior help up front, if the offensive line is weak here or there, he's got to adjust to that. So he's got his finger in a lot of holes in the dike, and I don't know how long he can keep all those holes filled. Um, and, and again, that leads me back to I'm glad they got Jimmy G because at, at, at some point there may be bigger leaks to fill besides training Trey Lance. So they have that option now before they were just going to have to live with it. So. I agree with you. I think these are hard to sort out, especially when you connect the timing, because everybody develops different. And it is a process. It is a, you know, it, it just takes time for people to learn how to process all the information. What these quarterbacks get asked to do now is crazy. If people only knew the amount of input they take in and spit out in a matter of seconds on every play, and that's the big difference between college and pros. The pros have a lot more information. We just can't call another play. We don't get 85 plays in a game. Sometimes we get 60, and we might get 10 series. So the whole dynamic changes in processing information from the quarterback's point of view. I just I don't know about Trey. I haven't seen enough of it, and it's not because we haven't tried. I've seen everything he's done so far. I just don't know. Well, uh, you know, moving off of, from uh, the quarterbacks a little bit, um, I saw that you know, you were an executive uh, for the Chargers back in 2017 when the Chargers brought in Anthony Lynn. Uh, Anthony Lynn is now the running backs coach of the 49ers. And, you know, there's no more Mike McDaniel. I'm not necessarily sure who the offensive coordinator is this year. I mean, Kyle's obviously going to call the plays. But I, I was wondering, you know, if you could shed a little insight on Anthony Lynn and, you know, how he how you think he might be he may influence this uh, this ground game because it seems like all reports are that they're going to move a little bit more to a power running game. Um, and I'm not sure if that has anything to do with Anthony Lynn or not, but um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, that's his style. That's for sure. Anthony came up in the business as a running back coach. Uh, yeah. I've spent time with him together with the chargers. Um, I think he's a no nonsense guy. I think he will be really good for that running back room. I don't know how much influence he'll have over the whole system. My guess is probably not a lot because knowing Kyle and, and where he comes from, they're going to still do what they want to do. But I think Anthony will push the running game every chance he can, and that's a good thing. Um, I think he'll make them a little tougher, a little more gritty, if they can be and if they need to be, um, because that's just his style. He's a running back taskmaster, going to keep his thumb on everybody in that room, and I think it's a good move for the 49ers to have a guy like that. And it's maybe somebody that Kyle can bounce things off of even from a leadership standpoint. I mean, this guy led an NFL franchise in, with the Chargers. So good guy, good coach, solid addition for the 49ers without a doubt. I think you got to dismiss the last year in Detroit 
um, that brought him here. I think, as we know, a lot of things happening in Detroit, so I can't blame that one on Anthony, that's for sure. This game uh, between the Niners and the Bears is obviously, you know, highlights two second year quarterbacks and Trey Lance and Justin Fields. There were six quarterbacks uh, taken relatively early in the last draft. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Davis Mills went a little later and then Justin Fields. Um, looking at that group, who did you like the most coming into the league? And now that you're a year plus in and you've had a chance to kind of see them make their adapt to the league, everybody's got a different equation. I think Fields probably is the least supported. Trey's been the guy who's played the least. But who do you like the most out of that group right now? Well, I still think Trevor Lance, uh, uh, Lawrence has the highest ceiling, right? The Jacksonville kid coming out of Clemson. He was my choice as having exactly everything you want on paper, just a matter of him learning the NFL game, kind of forgetting most of the stuff that he learned at Clemson to adapt to the NFL side. So I like him in the long run. Um, I liked Zach Wilson a lot coming out. I know he made a ton of mistakes last year with the Jets. I don't think they're all his fault. And the best thing for him would be becoming a sophomore or a junior that's just part of the process. I think you can say the same about Justin Fields. He was probably the next guy in line for me in that I think they just needed to play. I see the upside. I see all the skill set. They needed to adapt to the NFL speed of the game. Those were the three top guys for me. Again, I set Trey Lance aside just because there wasn't enough to go on. I couldn't. There was a giant leap of faith needed, and I wasn't willing to do that, having been a decision maker in the big chair. Um, Mac Jones, I thought had some physical limitations. I know there were a lot of coaches that fell in love with him. I think mainly because of the processing, because he's so smart, because he's a leader, they knew exactly what they would get with Mac Jones. I think you're going to see some limits on him physically. I don't know if he can make all the throws per se at times, but he times things. He, he anticipates things as good as anybody. And therefore we saw that last year, he was ready to play maybe sooner than the rest of them. Um, whether, whether he can carry a whole franchise for a long period of time with his physical skill set, I don't know. I think the hard part, and again, this comes back to Trey, like you said, he's played the least. And I think the best thing about rookie quarterbacks is they they got to go through it. They've got to face live bullets. They've got to, what's the saying, go fail forward fast. And that's what we saw with, with uh, Justin Fields last year. We saw a failure, a colossal failure. But I think he's going to be better for it. I think Zach Wilson's going to be better for having gone through that. We saw other quarterbacks throughout the years. Peyton Manning was awful his rookie year. Guess what? He got through it, though. It's something, it's like a necessary evil. And I guess that's the hard part with, with Trey Lance is he just hasn't done it. He, we haven't seen him fail miserably yet. Maybe he won't, but there's been, history is the best indicator of the future, and there hasn't been many that haven't failed initially. So I guess we got to be ready for that rocky road that he's going to have, but that was kind of my assessment of those quarterbacks a year ago. Uh, one guy I got to get your thoughts on because I'm just so enamored with what I've seen from him. And I'm I'm now becoming synonymous with uh, with this this player because I'm so bullish on him. And that's Brock Purdy, who I did not 
think a lot of when I saw him in college. But when you go back and watch the the film, I mean, he's the guy. He first of all, he's he plays played a lot of football, so he's a veteran type quarterback. He's a four year starter. He's got thirty two uh, Iowa State records. Uh, he had a very good record at Iowa State. He's got kind of a little bit more mobility, a little bit more athleticism than you think. He's got a little bit more toughness. You look at the six feet, six feet and change, six one, maybe a tad under six one. Um, but he's about two hundred and twenty pounds, and he's got that kind of linebacker like uh, mentality. And he'll take off. He'll dive head first. Just watching him, I saw him in the mini camp, Randy, and I thought this looks like this looks like a kid who's totally comfortable. And then I'm thinking about it, and I'm watching Sudfeld and Lance next to him. Uh, he, he has more experience than they had combined. Um, and then I saw it in training camp. He's guy playing with a great tempo. He's under control. Every drill, he's mastered. Uh, he's throwing the ball on time. It's coming out not early, not late, on time. He's throwing it out well on the run. Then we go to the preseason. He's operating the two-minute drill. The first game, he's, op- he's killing the clock. He's wor- wor- winding that play clock all the way down to like one second before he's snapping the ball. Very veteran-like move from a guy in his first NFL start. Then they show the uh, the the you know the up close camera from the end zone, and he's got the same kind of calmness as you see in like Aaron Rodgers at this point. You know, as he's as he's kind of he's getting guys lined up right. He's throwing strikes. Um, everybody looks at Nick Mullins, who was just here, and makes the comparison because physically they look very similar, and I get that. I see a totally advanced player. I see a I see a guy who I know is Mr. Irrelevant, but uh, to me, I see a guy that uh, he doesn't have quite the big NFL arm, but it's not a rag arm. I mean, he can make the throws, and he's play- – to me, if you didn't know anybody's draft position and you didn't know anybody's bio and you just let your eyes tell you what you saw, Brock Purdy was the 40. 49ers best quarterback in the preseason. I think the numbers revealed it. What was your evaluation of Purdy and and what have you thought so far? He's had a tremendous preseason to the point where they gave Nate Sudfeld $2 million guaranteed and still they cut him loose and he wound up uh, in Detroit for uh, Campbell there um, because Purdy beat him out and it was, it was clear to everybody, including John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. What did you think of Purdy at Iowa state? What do you think of him? Well, I think the thing that held Purdy back, per se, by most draft analysts is the big arm. I think the arm strength is where everybody goes initially. Even NFL scouts go to that. But the hardest thing for people to measure, in my opinion, especially about a quarterback, is anticipation, instincts, timing, all the things that you mentioned, calmness in chaos, which is the pocket. And he seems to excel at those levels. He's, he's, he's okay when it's not blocked up correctly. He's okay when there's people flying around. I think that is evident of him. You just have to overcome sometimes the maybe the lack of top physical skills, and some of that is arm strength of making all the throws. But you can make up for it if you can anticipate and you have instincts and you kind of see things before they happen. So if you watch a lot of Brock Purdy stuff, you'll see he wasn't shocked by a lot of things. He always had a plan. Sometimes when you play the position, it's as simple as when you break the huddle, you want to know your fail safe. I want to know where my check down is. And so I want to know before I even snap the ball where I'm going when everything goes to crap. And he has a great knack for that. That's the way he's always been. Some of the great quarterbacks are like that. He reminds me of a kid that we had in Seattle. I don't know if you remember John Kitna. was sure. a free agent pickup for us, had thrown for 10,000 yards at Central Washington. Nobody really knew about him. But I always felt like when I watched him in college and then when we got him in Seattle, 
when, when there was time left on the clock, I thought we had a chance. And there's no box for that when you evaluate quarterbacks. You don't get to talk about that much, but I think it really matters. And it sounds to me like Brock Purdy's got a little bit of that in him. He's going to give you a feeling of we got a chance. Just give him 30 seconds here. We might just win the dang game. And so I think there's a lot to be said about that. And and I credit the the decision makers with the 49ers that they saw it and were willing to bite off a $2 million guarantee on another player to keep him. So um, I think that shows a lot that they, they see the same things we do. And I think sometimes it's not an exact science and it's hard to, to get all of that intangible information when you're evaluating these kids coming out and you really sometimes don't see it until they're in front of you. And in this day after day, the kids grow on you. I think that's what's happened with Brock Purdy. Okay. There were reports that Trey was annoyed by the the 49ers decision to bring back um, Jimmy Garoppolo. People asked me about that on the radio this week. And I said, you know, it's not ideal, but it's not to me. I don't look at it as an overwhelming negative. He should be annoyed. If he's not annoyed, maybe we got the wrong guy. You know what I mean? If, if he wants to play, then, you know, he probably should be annoyed that Jimmy's there. But um, do you think that this is a a major, um, you know, hurdle for Shanahan and Lynch to, to conquer this year, to try to bring this team from A to B um, with the unknowns at quarterback? Do you think he, it could blow up the entire season or – or do you look at this as just, you know what, um, you know, it's competition and get used to it. And, you know, not that we don't care what how Trey feels, but we have to separate that from roster building and trying to achieve our, our football goals. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we talked about it earlier, but I don't think this, this season can be a referendum just based on what Trey Lance does. Um, I, if, if he is annoyed by it, tough luck. I mean, hey. Like I said, we all are looking out for our jobs every day. This is big boy football, and if if it bothers him, hey, maybe it, maybe it spurs him on. Maybe it ticks him off. I know if it was me, I want the best guys on our team we can get, and if it's at my expense, so be it. I want to win games. That's what I want to do. And so I think the locker room feels that way. They're going to want to play whoever's giving us the best chance to win, and the same can be said for your head coach and your GM. The locker room wants you to make a difference to, for what we can do on Sundays. And if it means we have to set Trey Lance for a week or two, so be it. Again, it's a one-year deal. Jimmy's not going to be there beyond this year. He's not. So we're not going to destroy a quarterback in one year, no matter what happens. So I've heard those same reports, too, that he's annoyed or this or that. Hey, it's one year. And and you've not shown yet that you're ready to go. So we're just minimizing our, our downside by having Jimmy G around as an option. That's the way I see it. You know, uh, uh, go ahead, Ray. Uh, a lot has been made, obviously, just, you know, following up on that question of, you know, this kind of stress or, you know, sort of bad feeling that may be present in the locker room. If, you know, there maybe there's fractions that want to go with Jimmy and then fractions with Trey, all of that. But what I haven't heard, and this is really interesting, this is what Kittle and uh, Richard Sherman were talking about on Sherman's podcast is they talked about the confidence and the, and the calming nature of bringing Jimmy back. And that I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on, they talked about one thing that the outside doesn't realize is, you know, you put six months of grinding, grinding into getting ready for the season. And the idea that if Trey goes down, all of that work is for naught. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that in your experience? Do you find that, 
having a backup quarterback that's competent and that can, you know, still kind of lead. Do you think that that is going to be a massive sort of almost stress reliever or uh, kind of a freeing feeling for the guys in the locker room? 100%. It's a stress relieving mechanism for the GM too. I would sleep good at night knowing I have Jimmy G. I wouldn't sleep good if I had a rookie as my backup option. But that's the same really at any position. Contrast that to with what's happening in Dallas now. They lose their left tackle, Tyron yeah. Smith, for what looks like the season. Now we're scrambling around trying to sign Jason Peter, 40 years old. That, why didn't we have a plan for that? Yeah. I think as a GM, I want to have a plan for all of this stuff ahead of time. And we're not going to make stuff up as we go. So I think that's the alternative is you lose a guy and you're not ready for it. So, again, I think this sets the 49ers up for – a, a bigger uh, a bigger season had something either go wrong medically with Trey Lance or in his development as a player. So again, it all makes sense to me, and I think it's a win win. I don't. I haven't heard an argument yet, Ryan, that makes me rethink my position that the 49ers are way better with Jimmy G than they are without him. Outside of the quarterback, I got to get your thoughts on John Lynch and the job that he's done. John, um, they've missed on some high picks, some day one and day two picks. I mean, they missed on Solomon Thomas. We don't know about Trey Lance. Um, Mike McGlinchey was a top 10 pick. Uh, they missed on Dante Pettis. They missed on Jalen Hurd. They missed on C.J. Beathard. These are all guys They missed on Joe Williams, guys in the first three rounds of the draft. That being said, this team has done an exceptional job from the fifth round and after they landed George Kittle in round five, DJ Jones in round six, um, and they've absolutely killed it, Randy, and uh, with the undrafted free agents. I mean, Aziz Al-Shair, Raheem Mostert. I mean, I, I could literally produce a list, Kevin Givens, that goes 10, 12 deep. Um, and I think Lynch is coming off a real nice draft class this year. But I wanted to ask you about the philosophy because they're, they've put a lot of resources in the D-line. And, I, and, I, and, it, and it, it's a – it's a 49er franchise philosophy, as you well know, that dates predates Lynch, goes back to, you know, John Marshall and, and, and Tony Rosano and, uh, you know, uh, Bill McPherson and these guys. They always had Dennis Brown, Ted Washington, Michael Carter, Kevin Fagan. They had deep D lines. They always believed in D line guys. They brought in Haley. They, they, you know, you name it. I mean, Chris Dolman, Kevin Green, Tim Harris, Ricky Jackson, all these guys. Guys, Richard Dent. They all came through here. Um, but now you've got a way to neutralize. It seems like the best quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, Rogers, some of these guys can neutralize the dominant D line by just getting the ball out quick. And, and, you know, the quick game, empty sets and spread the field and get the ball out of the quarterback's hand and play with rhythm. And it negates a lot of the incredible talent that the 49ers have on that defensive line. I'm just kind of wondering your thoughts on them, their philosophy of emphasizing the defensive line, that it all stems from the belief of if you can't move that quarterback off his spot and make him uncomfortable, you, what are you really doing? Um, and so they've emphasized it, but now there's a way to neutralize that element of that dominant element of the game. Give me your thought on roster building and, and where and the importance of the D line, where you would put it. Well, the game has definitely evolved. That's for sure. It's definitely changed over the years. The rules have had a lot to do with that. It's become more of a seven on seven league. There's no doubt. Um, but I will say this. I don't think you can ever go wrong drafting big guys and fast guys. And that's been the same for 30 years. You've got to take all the big guys you can get. And I think where teams do get sideways sometimes is 
They start to draft for need. And I don't know anything about their philosophy in San Francisco. I know this to, to, to reflect one of your points you made. I give Adam Peters a lot of credit and those college scouting guys. They've done a great job of identifying late round picks and college free agents. And I credit them and the staff for that because your decision makers don't see those guys. So you're trusting that those scouts and, and that side of the building is doing a good job. So I think they should be credited for that. I have no doubt Adam Peters is going to be a GM in this league very soon. He's obviously been uh, interviewed several times in the past. So having said that, I don't know that their process of, of how they put their draft boards together every year, um, all the details of it. But I think you struggle when you start filling needs early in drafts. And I know, speaking from, from my past, the picks that we struggled the most with were when I tried the hardest to fill a need. I saw others do it on my way up the, the food chain to being a GM and on the way down. I just think you've got to draft best player available more so than ever before. And a lot of the times the value you put on those players due to the position they play, there, there's a reason those defensive linemen always get picked high because there's not many of them. So I think you can't go wrong uh, drafting offensive, defensive linemen, and fast guys. And so that's, again, I think a proven track record of, of any evaluator in the NFL. If you've done more of that, I think you're going to be held in higher regard. Um, again, not knowing how they process their draft board and how they set it with the 49ers, I can't really be critical of the of what they're doing not knowing that. But I do know this. John Lynch is a good listener. He sees a lot of players from a different point of view because he's an ex-player. And I think he's really smart, and I think he listens to the people around him. That's not a bad thing. Uh, Randy, you know, uh, zooming out a little bit on uh, the rest of the the, the NFC, I, I'm really interested. Uh, who do you think is even a possibility to make it to the to the Super Bowl out of the NFC? Because I, I haven't felt like this league has, or the NFC has been this wide open. Uh, particularly, the NFC West has not been this wide open in in a while. Um, and you know, you got Tampa Bay. Uh, Brady, interior offensive line issues, you know, uh, Rogers lost weapons. Um, you know, a lot of people are on the Eagles now, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear who you think actually has a possibility to make it out of the NFC. Well, I'm, I'm going to start with the champs. <laughs> I know yeah. you guys probably don't want to hear that, but I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how the Rams could not be the favorite going in. So I still see Matt Stafford. I still see Sean McVay, I still see the things that they did defensively, them being able to do that this year. So I think they're the favorites going in. The one team I don't hear a lot about, and I had a chance to watch the Packers and Saints in joint practices a couple weeks back in Green Bay. I think the Saints are a good team. I yeah. think their defense is really good. I think their special teams are really good, and that gets no play at all. If Jameis Winston can just be consistent, doesn't have to be off the charts, he can't be awful, just has to be okay. I think they're going to win their share of games. I'm with you on Tampa. Um, I don't think Tampa is what is all that, if that's the words to use. Um, I think they have had change. They obviously have a new coach, new head coach. They've had some injuries. We know what Brady's gone through the last month. I just don't know if they can recalibrate what they've had there the last couple of years. The window isn't always open uh, for life. Once you make it, you know, uh, through it the first time doesn't mean you're you're, you're going to make it the next year or the next year. I just, they, they've had a lot of things kind of go their way and now they've got some adversity. So I don't see it there. 
I think the Packers are going to be a different team, Ryan, but I think they're going to still be good. And I know they don't have the tools on the perimeter that they've had before, but I think their defense is better. I think their running game could be top-notch, and I think they're just going to have to lean on different things. I think Aaron Rodgers will still process and get it to the right guy. I don't doubt that at all. But I think they're going to be a running team more so than they've been in the past and rely on defense. So I think Matt LaFleur is going to have to change a little bit of his style because they're going to have to grind it out and grind out some wins this year. They don't have the big playability that they've had in the past with Devontae Adams. So those are just some of my thoughts on the NFC. I think the AFC is is primarily the better conference right now. So, But I, I do like the Saints. I like the Rams. I like the Packers probably third. And and we'll see. I like the 49ers if we knew what we were getting at, at quarterback. That's the only yeah. doubt. You mentioned Green Bay. Watch out for Romeo Dobbs, man. The the kid from Nevada, I thought was he impressed me in Nevada and in the pre-draft process. And now uh, he looked good in the preseason to me as well. Um, I always look at teams and say, do they have the central relationship in any organization is the head coach and the general manager. And to me, if you get those two spots, right. Um, it's, I don't want to say it's a matter of time before you win, but I really believe you're on the right path to winning. And if you said to me, who do you really like? I like, I like uh, Tom Telesco as a young GM. I like Chris Ballard in Indianapolis as a young GM. Um, obviously Eric DaCosta inherited the Ravens thing from Ozzie Newsome. They've got a lot of momentum going there. Um, you know the, the the league well. I mean, who, who what regime do you like? Uh, who do you respect as far as the personnel evaluators around the league? There's so many good ones. Kevin Colbert just hung it up in Pittsburgh. He obviously did a phenomenal job there with personnel uh, through the years, and is considered and has been widely recognized for it. But is there is there less need? You mentioned the Rams, less need in Sean McVay. You know, Snead has traded a lot of number one picks for. Uh, for you know veterans because they've missed at the top of the draft and that's obviously worked well for them who do you like who do you like as far as young young hierarchy in the league because that to me seems like the thing that i always look at when i'm trying to map out who's really building towards something yeah i would agree with that i think so much gets put on gms in particular as being the the pickers of players that's really less than half their job trust me they've got to be people people communicators uh, fixers. They've got to fix things that go haywire. Um, they've got to keep everybody in line on the same page. Uh, I think that's the misnomer that when people look around the league, they say, oh, this guy can pick players. Well, he, he better have a great staff. He better communicate well with everybody in the building. And you better have some really good people skills as a leader. And, and so those things kind of go un, unmatched and under the radar. But I think you hit on it. I think Les Snead, regardless of, of how many picks he's given away, he's done a great job. When I look around the league at teams that are talented year in and year out, I look at the Rams. I look at the 49ers. I look at the Ravens. I think they've done a really good job. And you mentioned Eric DaCosta and, and, and uh, John Harbaugh. They work well together. They get great support from leadership. They've minimized change there, and I think that matters. Um, you, you mentioned Telesco with the Chargers. Tom's on his third head coach. So most of us don't get a chance to hire three head coaches. Right, so, right. So we all see that how we see it. But um, I think you hit, I, I think Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekus, they, you know, they've only been together a short time, but how can you argue with what they put together? And I think this year will be a, a little bit of a referendum on change and how they adapt in Green Bay. But those are some of the better guys. And I think, hey, for, for the last decade, I know that they're not the flavor of the month this this year, but 
John Snyder and Pete Carroll in Seattle have, have earned a chance to, to move on as well together. And I think their relationship has been um, well documented, but they've had a decade of excellence themselves. So I agree with you. Those guys, it's funny. I, I've worked, I'll just say this as, as we end this part of it. I've worked under coaches. I've worked level with coaches and I've been the coach's boss, but in all structures, my philosophy and our relationship never changed. In other words, it really doesn't matter who's in charge. And so when you look around at, at identifying coaches and GMs and their relationship, it's the tandem of how they work together that matters, not who has the hammer at the end of the day and who gets to decide what. They both have to set ego aside and they have to realize that none of us are smarter than all of us. And those are the places that I think you'll find success. You find that with the Rams. You find that with the Ravens. You found it in Pittsburgh for years with Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin. Now they have a little change there. But that, to me, is the important part of the relationship. Uh, you know, I might, just my last question um, before we uh, let the great Randy Mueller go. Um, you know, do you have any uh, what I'd call my guys? Do, is there anybody from this year's draft that just really stuck out or uh, yeah, somebody that really stood out to you that, you know, maybe you feel like was undervalued in the draft or heck it could be even, you know, a second or third year guy that you you're really high on that you think maybe has an opportunity this year to sort of break out any positions, uh, completely open question. Just uh, wondering if you, if you could give me one of your, my guys. Well, the, the, if we go back to this year's draft, and, and I looked at a lot of guys, I just, by habit, that's how I spend my time, right? I probably watch too much. Film. My daughter called me. She said, Dad, you just sit in the dark room and watch the computer all day. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, okay? But I do like watching, I do like watching football. So um, my quarterback this year that didn't get a lot of run that I think will surprise people down the road, it may not be with the team he's with, is Bailey Zappi. The wow. New England. Patriots who actually had a really good preseason, who I think you'll hear from down the road somewhere, somehow. I like him from Western Kentucky. The other kid that we've seen a little bit of, who was my number one tight end this year, and I'm not beating my chest at all, but I'm saying Isaiah likely the tight end from Coastal Carolina. In Baltimore. Baltimore. He's been awesome all preseason. And he's a guy that most people didn't think highly of. He was my number one tight end going into last year's draft. And I think you're going to see from him uh, this year what I saw in that this kid is advanced as a tight end. He's big. He's athletic. I think in the, in the one preseason game, this preseason, he caught 10 balls by halftime, like 10 for 108. And then they shut him down in week three. How many fourth round pick rookies do you see not dress the third preseason game because they're afraid he's going to get hurt? Not many. So those were a couple guys. You know, um, hey, we all see players that we end up following. Um, and that we liked. I think that's the fun part and the process of team building. Uh, you, you find different things that you like out of your own criteria. And then uh, it's a matter of how your coaches develop them once you get them. So everybody has a few of these guys, but that's just a couple guys that I saw last year in a draft that I really liked. 
Oh my God. Uh, I am going to uh, rush straight to the Krug show fantasy league right after. Uh, no, seriously. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good call. In fact, you know, uh, coastal Carolina had a pretty good recruiting coordinator. If I remember correctly, a guy named hmm, Rick Mueller. I wonder if there was a connection there. Uh, another guy from coastal. I mean, I didn't even know that much about coastal five years ago, but they had a guy come out in last year's draft, a defensive end named Teron Jackson, who can really bet and the edge and the and the Eagles got him. Um, give me your thought on the Eagles. I, I I think the Eagles. I love their addition of Chauncey Gardner Johnson as a tremendous nickelback. They got him from the Saints. Saints were hugged up on the cap. Probably need to create a little room. But Howie Roseman, um, you know, it's been interesting watching um, some of their coaches interact in the war room when the cameras have been on. When they drafted Milton Williams, I know uh, Donahoe was upset that he wanted somebody else. I really like. Milton Williams. So I was like, wow, I, I'm kind of with Howie on that one. Um, but I kind of like what the Eagles are building. Uh, I like some of them. Uh, to me, I mean, I don't know about the monster kid from Georgia. Uh, we'll see what he does. But I like several of their moves the last few years, and I like the way they're building that roster. Um, and they also had the Coastal Carolina connection with Jackson. But what do you think of Philly before we let you out of here, Randy, and what they're – they seem to be a lot of – people's kind of NFC dark horse yeah. uh, contender and, and they're, they're building a really nice team on both sides of the ball. Really? Yeah. I like what they've done there a lot. I like how he's job. He's done a really good job. I think the only hesitation I have, and I would pick them to win that division in the NFC East is Jalen hurts. And I'm a Jalen hurts guy. I seen him improve uh, from his days at Alabama to Oklahoma to now being in the league a couple years. I really like the intangibles Jalen Hurts has. If they can advance their passing game from the pocket just a little bit, I think they'll be a good team in the NFC this year. I think they're, they're, um, the additions that they've made on the perimeter to help their downfield passing game is good on paper. Now it's a matter, matter of managing the team and getting more out of Jalen. Uh, and that's going to rely be, uh, Nick Sirianni, the coach, that's going to fall on his shoulders as well but between those two they've got to advance their drop back passing game and i think the eagles are going to be really good we're going to let you go randy awesome stuff uh you're an incredible wealth of information ryan and i are, are going to be covering the 49ers for talk sport out of london and the gridiron podcast out of london this year in addition to working for 95 7 the game on the radio side and awesome. and uh, so we're really excited and we'd love to to bend your ear a couple times this year throughout the year and get your perspective as the as the year develops you know it's unbelievable the the amount of uh you know obviously credibility that you bring to the table but the insights are absolutely Absolutely invaluable. And so we know we took a lot of your time this morning, but we do appreciate you and uh, say hi to Rick. Uh, he's he, he's meant a lot to my professional career. He meant a lot to me as I was growing up. I probably it was 23, 24 when I was the, uh, you know, as a GA slash, uh, you know, QC coach for the gold miners. And those guys all taught me him, Bob Mattos, Bill Urbanic. They taught me the value of hard work. It's funny. I used to I used to I got there at seven and I at around seven o'clock because they said, Hey, it's going to be long hours. So I, I drove out to Rancho Marietta. I'd worked till about seven, eight o'clock. I'd been there 13 hours. I'm like, yeah, I'm a, time to go. Miller <laughs> Bannock said, Larry, let me tell you, you're lazy. You're lazy. <laughs> and the youth has been wasted on the young. He's like, I'll just pick you up. I'm like, coach, go ahead. Pick me up. What time are you going to pick me up? I'll be there at quarter to five. <laughs> so he started picking me up and taking me to camp at quarter to five. He would drop me off after camp at like one o'clock in the morning 
And I'm sitting there talking to Rick around the meeting room one day. And I'm like, the hours that you guys put into this, he's like, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is it. You better you better have the right girlfriend or the right wife or the right situation or it's all going south. But I, I love Rick and I love what he uh, what, you know, the career that he's carved out and really appreciate your time. So thanks okay. again for coming on. Hopefully uh, later this year we can get you back on. Anytime, guys. Good luck to you this season and look forward to chatting again. Thanks. Thank you very much, Randy. Randy Mueller, former GM of the Dolphins and Saints, longtime NFL executive, stopping by on the Krug Show. And welcome back to the Tales from the Bay podcast starring Larry Kruger and Ryan Smith. Our first episode for Gridiron. Hope you've enjoyed it. And um, for those of you who want to hear more of the locker room interviews that Ryan and I have been doing from 49er training training camp in Santa Clara, California, go to the Krug Show on YouTube. uh, K-R-U-E-G, the Krug Show. And uh, you can check out the interviews in their entirety. And they all live there yeah uh and in addition to that we're going to be interviewing a bunch of people and some of it will make it into the podcast some of it won't uh not just players but uh you know for example you know it's steve weish this week um you know we're gonna include the whole interview into this one but there's gonna be times where you know the conversation gets rolling and it's really good and maybe we go an hour instead of 20 minutes and you know can't fit the whole thing in the podcast so what we do is we just post it on the krug show channel so make sure to uh check it out subscribe like and hey maybe even just jump in one of our uh san francisco giants post games because I swear, they're uh, they're much more than just baseball. They're uh, a lot of goofing around and silliness. And, and don't forget to check us out as we go, because next week the 49ers will be at home for the season opener with the Seattle Seahawks coming to town. The 49ers almost a double-digit favorite to win over Seattle in Week 2. And uh, the second edition of the uh, Tales from the Bay podcast featuring myself and Ryan will break down <clears throat> will break down Niners-Seahawks and everything that Goals, goes along with it and uh, talk a lot of football leading into week two. Let's go, baby. 